Listeners everywhere, welcome to The Movie Show with Joel and Ryan, the weekly fix for your screen addiction and a trusted source for discussion of all things film and television. Please keep in mind that for the purposes of this podcast, Joel and Ryan are not acting as journalists, but rather fellow moving picture enthusiasts. All of their opinions should be taken as such. Also, please be warned that while Joel and Ryan may seem like petulant children, they are, in fact, adults who may occasionally use adult language. While they promise to keep out all the worst words, it's a good bet you will still understand what they were saying. And now, with no further ado, here's Joel and Ryan. Hello, 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 and welcome. Hello, welcome to the movie show with Joel and Ryan. I am Joel. And I'm Ryan. And I'm Michael. <laughs> Michael and Rob, we should have figured out an order first. But if you're watching the video feed, there they are on your screen. The placard is different. We have Rob and Michael joining us today. And you know that uh, if, if the four of us are here, you know what it means. It is a double feature scenario. Welcome. Hey, Rob, welcome. Welcome. Happy to have you here. How you doing, Rob? Good, good. Rob is in the middle of uh, fringing. It is the Twin Cities Fringe Festival here. Uh, so Rob is seeing like 14 shows a day. So he uh, his brain is mush, but he is here um, uh, to, to bring what little of that mush he's taking the mush he's put it in his pans he's made a little patty out of it and he's gonna just suck whatever he can out of it um how are you michael how are things out in los angeles super super awesome. i say yeah super um and uh, of course my good friend ryan how are you ryan i'm fine i'm not mushing any patties over here but i'm doing okay i've got a lot going on as well that's good you know, uh, yeah. When you can, when you, when your life is not mushing patties, yeah. Well, I think that's uh, that's a win. That's a tally in the win it? column. I still have um, my patties mushed for me by others, and I feel like that's that's a sign of first world success in the, mm-hmm. in the Harris household. Decadent, decadent mushed patties. Um, all right. Well, yeah, we are here. It is um, double feature. Another double feature episode. Uh, when was the last time? Were we about a month and a half, two months? When when, when did we last do that? Not too long months, ago. I think. Yeah. So I'm assuming all of you in our in listener land, I'm assuming all of you uh, went out and watched all eight of those films, and uh, I'm sure you loved it. And we're like, my God, I can't wait for eight more. Um, and and we have that for you. We have Yay. that for you today, and um, we have a wonderful variety. I think we have yeah, just kind of a another wide gamut of films but again these are these are double feature ideas we think that these are two movies that would make for a great if you have an evening or an afternoon a rainy afternoon and you're looking for a couple films to watch um you could do worse than choosing uh choosing any of these little pairings that we have um but what we do have this time uh, that we haven't had the last time is we have a brand new sparkling mushed patty of a double feature jingle. Here we go. Rob and Michael and Ryan and Joel double feature. That there springs class. That's what that mm-hmm. does. I yeah. think you're right. 
I think you're right. I think when uh, when you hear something like that, it is absolutely um, a symbol. Of, I mean, frankly, I'm disappointed that we're not all in tuxedos. Um, all right. So as the jingle uh, impl- implied here, now uh, we're not actually going to do it like uh, this isn't always what it's going to be. But the order of that jingle is actually the order that we are going to talk about the movies uh, today. So today, first, we're going to take a trip back in time with Rob um, and uh, our first way, movie way that we're going to before the yeah, way... cars. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> And <laughs> or maybe not that far back, but super. No, because it wasn't that far back because, of course, this uh, the title of this movie was made famous by the monkeys uh, with their um, with their famous song. The night train to Munich and beat you at the stage. I think that's how it went. Sure. Um, uh, no, but it is 1940s night train to Munich. Yeah, and you can say the other one up front. Yeah, and and uh, yeah, so our, our yeah, our first pairing is Night Train to Munich and Went the Day Well. And question yeah. mark. Question are, marks in a title. Sort of, Bad luck. Uh, early British uh, war propaganda films, basically, um, but they're I think they're two of the best. Um, the first one's sort of a, a thriller that takes place. Uh, in the year leading up to uh, Great Britain entering World War II. And it actually, the conclusion happens on um, the day that uh, Great Britain declared war on Germany. Uh, so it, it you know, really leads up to that. What's interesting is um, this came out in Great Britain in August of 1940. And let's see, I have a note somewhere. Uh, Great Britain entered the war in uh, September 3rd, 1939. So in less than a year, they had this film out, um, which is, is kind of amazing. Yeah. Um, I think... That stock it, footage really helped a lot in the early chapters, I think. Yeah. But, no, but I know the other one. I know what the... Um, the, the amazing thing about these movies is that they're, they're, they both were made <laughs> while World War II was raging... Yep. That, in Europe yeah. and in, and the Battle of Britain was going on and you know and it that's the stunning thing about them. <laughs> yeah, me, I agree. It's like yeah. wow. <laughs> what they, you know, it's it's a kind of incredible that they Yeah, yeah that. and these were um the first I mean I know went the day well but they these aren't like official propaganda films. These are just these are just right. filmmakers telling stories in you know and and in an effort to i guess probably you know deal with the emotions that they're dealing with uh and also to just show their pride for for their country right um so it's not like these were you know like uh you know officially um you know like uh what's the word i'm looking for they weren't um like government uh, sponsors or whatever yeah Although the mm-hmm. British film industry is largely and has always been somewhat government sponsored, yeah. but it, yeah, it, not in any way like you're thinking. Like they, they were put mm-hmm. together by the Office of Propaganda, and they weren't artistically answerable to anybody like that. Right. Um, right. When you can tell, you could certainly tell with the first one, uh, Night Train to Munich, um, which is it's weird because they are two. They are kind of sort of serving the same purpose, but. Night Train is really very stiff 
upper lip British filmmaking, Carol Reed, to be, oh, let's, let's have a bit of fun with the war and poke the right. Nazis in the nose for good measure. <laughs> yeah. Right. And it carries that tone, even when they're shooting at each other at the end, and it's exciting. It it's still very super light on its feet, um, but it's fun, and the two main characters are adorable. I I this has got to be the oldest film I've ever seen George Harris or George uh, Rex Harrison Rex Harrison in yeah, and yeah. I've seen him as a young man and a couple of things, but he, he, that character is so cool and that the suave upper class british agent obviously is the thing that's in every movie as long as there's been movies but he i really really dig him and 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 i think she's really wonderful i actually found the movie a little difficult to follow at first i watched the beginning of it twice before i carried on with it um i don't think that's not really a knock on the movie it's it's just it's got this complicated setup with the, there's a whole double cross and stuff that happens at the beginning of the movie right. and i wasn't really following easily who was who because they kept cutting back between these different offices and different countries with different people i didn't know um it's just and i didn't need to go back and watch it again i just really thought i'm not getting it and i'm not going to be able to talk about it like i had that sort of fear but I think if I'd have just kept watching it, all the pieces fall into place, and then it, and then everything sort of I think clears itself up. But yeah. that's a thing well, too, right, it, Rob? I mean, when a movie just goes, you you don't need to know everything or who everyone right. is. I mean, you'll will faith that people will figure it out and mm -hmm. won't sit there. Yeah, I think uh, it it comes from a time when they expected the audience to be paying attention. Um, <laughs> And so they're not dare they? spoon feeding everything. Right, right, right. Uh, my wife likes to watch things while doing things on her phone as well, um, which I've learned to just block out and accept and whatever. But uh, she was sort of lost. Yeah, yeah. I was because you'd looking be right at it, and I was kind of lost. So I really do yeah. think it's you know, it. I, I don't think it's a criticism. I think it's just a. It just gets going, and it just yeah. doesn't. It just well, doesn't spoon feed you anything. It really does. I don't know if it's require that you pay attention, but which I think most good movies do. I think it just it just takes for granted that you'll you'll don't worry you'll you'll catch up. You'll get there in the end. It's very right. British in that way. The way it starts. Yeah. Mm -hmm. like, I love. In the end, I lo liked it for that, and I love. I love when. It was a little disorienting watching all the, the cuts between the marching and stuff, although I loved that music they kept playing over and over again. That was really neat. I don't know. Is that something, or was that something made for the movie? I feel like it's... You know, I don't know. I feel like that little German theme, it goes away as the movie goes on, but early yeah. on, whenever they show the people marching into Poland or whatever, you get that music, which is fantastic. And the 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 black and white photography once, especially once we're on the train and in the stations and up in the mountains and in the rail cars, like it's yeah. gorgeous and, and simple, but action, but still really linear and fun and exciting. You know, I, yeah. I had a really, really good time by the time it was over. Yeah. yeah for, I'm for not... me, that, that second half of that film, when they're on the train, uh, when we get uh, Charters and Caldecott characters, yes, um, yes. who uh, they, they were actually in six films 
as those characters. Um, yes. The first one is Alfred Hitchcock's The Lady Vanishes, which is also set on train. Um, Cricket Mad. And written and written by the same guys uh yeah they're 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 so much fun i just i love that they pop up again they are they take a little of the danger out of the thing i don't know if that's their effect on most of the movies that they show up in but they're you wouldn't trade them for anything because they're so super entertaining those two chaps yeah Yeah, and they're they're so into cricket like cricket's the most important thing but like a true (laughs) Uh, English citizen when yep. the going gets tough, they doing their up. part, right? Which their is a part. big, big. It's that that little fun part of this movie. It's the huge part of the next one. Yeah, yeah. Uh, this was the only film of the of the uh, of all of these that I didn't see. Michael, did you get a chance to see this one? Yes. Um, okay. I, I really enjoyed this. I mean, I I kind of thought about when we had the discussion about victory and how I thought it didn't take the situation it was in seriously and this didn't either but it did i didn't have that same problem like uh the comic relief i called them abbott and St- abbott and costello you know i thought they were hysterically funny i mean the fact that they kept getting moved and i was so thoroughly entertained by the the german woman that was kind of handling the in and out of the train you know the conductor whatever yeah thought she was hysterical um but I, I was really invested in this. It was a lot of fun. It was very entertaining. And um, I was really impressed with the miniature work, certainly in the opening yes. scenes with the, uh, the camp. And mm-hmm. yeah, I kind of agree with you guys. It was a little bit difficult to get into it. But one of my things is I watched some crappy version on YouTube. So it was a little tinny. Yeah. Um, so it was just a matter of kind of acclimating to how it sounded and looked on that, that crappy version. But um, I was lent really by my buddy Rob the Criterion yeah. Blu-ray, and it was just pristine and immaculate. And, so and I and I wasn't. I'm fantastic. not that familiar with Rex Harrison's work, and so I mean, of course, I saw him in the opening credits, but then it didn't register until the end. I'm like, oh my god, that was Rex for, Harrison. He's fantastic. Top bill is he top billed or is I is think Th- the female is, top right? It doesn't sure. really matter for yeah. for for what is ostensibly the hero of the story. He comes into the movie super super late. Yeah, um, and I just love all the 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 mishaps and the things that you know, kind of what happens in the next one as well. These little things where you're just like, as an audience, oh my god, no, you know, just these little things that you know are going to throw them off track, and um, you know, like when one of the the Abbott and Costello kind of recognizes, and I'm like, oh, just shut up, just shut up, just shut up. But that tells you how invested you are because I was very concerned. What's his name? You know, Dicky. What's his name? Dicky. Dicky. Dicky Randall. Yeah. Wouldn't you be old Dickie Randall? I mean, he walks right up in front of the yes. Gestapo and asks this guy who's undercover. <laughs> of course, they do their part then to make it right, but it's but they don't even make the connection mm-hmm. that it, they they f this up. They just yeah, it, it's super funny. It's really mm-hmm. really ridiculous, but it's as you say, it's full attention. You know, I don't want to compare them because they're not comparable, but um. That tension it can is enjoyable for an audience, you know, like the tension in like like Roger Ebert didn't like big business, you know, because he just thought it was something that ne- the something a movie about something that never happened until it finally happened. And but that's yeah. there's tension in that. There really is comedic tension in these all these near misses and almost yeah. things and little little 
little tiny little things that get in your way and cause you to go, ooh, but it's 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 at a different experience with the same sort of thing in the next film, but the the in this one it's all fun, you know. But I think you really mm-hmm. the movie tricks us early on and I think that's great because you really you're not sure it's all going to work out, but you're pretty sure it's all going to work out. Well, it, the film would be dastardly for bringing in two bumbling comedic characters in the third act and then not have people have mostly off. make it out okay. Right. Right. And you just so you just feel that comfort with those guys. It's like, well, they're not these poor guys aren't going to be the ones that cause, you know, what's her face to get killed on the way to Switzerland or whatever that can. Yeah. Well, that would be horrible. Well, so when, you're safe, but there's still tons of tension in, in them sneaking around and their whole plan. Yeah. None of their plans go right at all ever. Well, he's got other, a, Dickie's got to think really, on his feet and it's fun. The other striking things kind of on a different subject is I, you know, you're talking about that uh, stock footage of Hitler and the Nazis and when I went to the IMDb page, of course, he's listed as one of the actors. And it was kind of surreal to see that. And it was very odd, you know, but he is in it, you know, and it's uncredited it very, featured people. Yeah. Yeah. So that was that was a very and I, I want to go back to the what you guys talked about quickly is that the that this was made while this was going on is just and and the second film is so strange. It was made right after this stuff happened. I mean, it was just right yeah. in the shadow of the actual events, and it's well, that it is was all still going on. It was all still happening, you know. And it's just it's so weird to me. Like I I, I guess I look at movies as like historical pieces. No, they're made 30, 40 years after the fact. Yeah. You know, this was made while it was happening. It's very odd. I think kind that's of why. Um, it can get away with being lighthearted at times or or taking a lighter touch than with victory. It's sort of like, I, I get what you were saying yeah. with victory, Michael. Um, and with this one, it's like, yeah, but this is like, they're well, living this through to this. up their spirits. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. 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 And went the day well, uh, you know, at Ryan's talking about the, the tension um, of Nitrating Munich, went the day well, you know, went, went the day well, lays it out there right at the beginning. Uh, it tells you what the ending is. You just it's the matter of how we're going to get there. Yeah. Yeah. What but the, the how uh, really is something. Yeah. No, totally and the how is, is something else. This yeah. One. Ab- absolutely. But it's at the beginning, it set, you know, it acknowledges that Great Britain won the war. But they haven't yet. They haven't yet. Yeah. Right. It's I mean, a, they it's largely a movie looking back on a fake war. incident in the war. Mm-hmm. You know, but it, it's well, still it, well, and it was. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's yeah, uh, yeah I, I, it's it's essentially uh, Britain's uh, version of Red Dawn. Um, yeah. Yep. <laughs> which, so that's, it, that's it's well said. That's actually is what it is for a nice and uh, semi-modern reference. Uh, yeah, and it kind of, you know, and from the top, it, it yeah, like Ryan said, it's this fictional thing, and they tell you like, ah, the Germans tried to take over England, but this is the only little portion they got, and then we took it back, and essentially, it's here's how we did it, well, and and that's, that's um, and so, it was wonderful. That's what was so fascinating about this opening is that you know, obviously, that's kind of inherent in the the you know fourth wall breaking dialogue that we get there, but Elwood and I are sitting, and then as soon as you start seeing a, like the the happiness and kind of you know niceness of this this village elwood turned to me he's like this is not going to be good this is (laughs) i can already tell this is i mean there's they set it up beautifully that there's going to be a great fall here Mm -hmm. and um i don't want to talk too much because i want rob to this is his movie but i 
this was my favorite of the eight films we screened this time. And I, I was so, so surprised at how brutal this movie was. It, it did not pull punches where, where Night Train to Munich, every shot that was fired, they'd kind of cut away before you saw anything. And you mm-hmm. got a few like falling down, but um, Went the Day Well was hor- hor- horrifying. I, I was They cut away and Went the Day Well movie. too, but the, the, the violence, well, they really do. They don't really show you anything, but the violence in it for its time, just like we say on the show, what, what happens in that movie is what happens in the story. And, and you get this succession of stories of stuff that I, I don't, I can't think of an equivalent forties film that has anything like some no of that one, stuff in it. No one was safe in this movie. No. Yeah. And they did show things. I mean, the, the, the runaway kid. No, you saw that. You saw that happen. Yeah. But it's still in a bloodless sort of. Well, yeah, but yeah, I wouldn't expect yeah. blood and gore, but the fact that you see him actually hit. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and the mm-hmm. same with um, I mean, yeah. You, you don't, don't see, just you don't just see the guy shoot and hear exactly. birds fly away or whatever the little gimmicks of the time are. That is true. But the the thing that destroyed me, like literally upset me to some deep level, was um, the lady of the manor. Yep. Yes. Wow. With the, I was was that with the hatchet. That. No, no, the hatchet no. was crazy. The, the hatchet was crazy, but this is the grenade. Uh, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, that moment was, uh, that, yeah, that one uh, was, there was an auto. Uh, Jennifer was sitting next to me when, when I was uh, watching it. And that one, she she literally was like, what happened? You okay? And I went, uh, yeah, fine. No, and she goes, you yeah. literally shuddered. Like I shook yeah. the shook the bed that we but were. But there on. were multiple <laughs> moments of that all throughout this. It's yeah. it was really powerful and and I I just I was so pleased with the fact that you didn't necessarily get to know all these characters all that well. But you know I think it was also the fact that um, the traitor. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean his comeuppance was so beautifully done. Right. You know, and I, I didn't know what to expect. I'm like, what is she's going to screw this up? Whatever. Why? Because immediately when it's revealed, she, I mean, Elwood and I are screaming at the TV, say something, say something. And then to see where it actually goes was, I, I think it's, that's why you like the characters so much, even though you don't know them that well, knowing what they're up against, they're, particularly who they're, they're very familiar from other movies yes. and just from, from the roles of p- the people of an English village in general, you know, the vicar, <laughs> the, uh, this whole group of people. So yeah, you don't, there's so many of them in the ensemble that you don't really, you get to know a couple more better than others, but there isn't yeah. that focus yeah. on these two people like a lot of films, but it, they're, but they do spend the first third of the film, yeah. uh, you know, just showing you regular yeah. life, life around. And even a little more than that, the early part of the occupation is still subterfuge. And so they're, yep. but but it, they're just, they're really familiar. And I think that's kind of important. And you get, they get, the movie gets a lot of mileage out of that. I was also impressed with the female contingent in there. They kicked ass. Like yep. I, it was a lot of, that, no, you stand by, no, what can we do? And then they did. The preacher's daughter mm-hmm. character. I had only ever seen her in the, uh, what she in the tenant. Is that the, the Polanski film that she's in? Rob? Wow. Interesting. So as an older woman, you know, yeah. and, and I knew she was great, but she was a really great stage actor and really didn't, she did a handful of significant movies, but just a handful over a pretty long career. And she was wonderful in this. I mean, they were all really, really good, but I, she just, 
everything she was doing, I just, I'm impressed. She was supernatural in this role, and yet she was, there were, you were aware of the, you know, if you watch enough stuff, you're aware of these really interesting choices that she was making as an actor, and it really hit the that sweet spot, hit the balance between those things in a wonderful way. So I well, was delighted to see her, but everybody one was of the really other, good in it. The other things that really stood out to me about this film is that there was no time wasted in anything. Like that's a good example of what she did in her last moment with the traitor. Mm -hmm. There was no, how could you do this? It was just, it just happened. The same with the woman with the ax. So there was no time for her to even understand what she'd just done before she got her retaliation. And mm -hmm. I, I really think that's a big part of why the movie is so powerful because there's no, there's no sugarcoating, you know, there's nothing like that. It just is so abrupt and everything. Well, in hatchet related killing the side, her response to having killed somebody was really, really visceral uh, too. And yeah, for a film yeah. of this era, was yeah. stunning. So yeah, same, so, same with one of the other women when she, she, you know, she actually, when they're shooting, when yeah. they're defending, uh, you know, trying to stop the yep. soldiers from coming in the manor and, and she, you know, she hits one and then she's like, huh. And they're like, what's wrong? What, what's the matter? And they're like, well, I, I got one. I just killed someone. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And, and just that little moment was just really wonderful and it was worth the 18 seconds or whatever it was that it took for them to, 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 kind of honor that moment and it was, yeah, it was great so i mean just uh you know in the uh spirit of the double feature uh just as these are teasers for for folks uh went the day well uh is a small british village and a german force comes in under in disguise as british troops saying they're doing an exercise um right. and gradually it's revealed that they are uh, German troops, the villagers are all gathered together and, um, you know, they, the Germans are trying to hold this village until another force can, can land. So they have to hold it for a certain amount of time. And it's about yeah. the village people yeah. uh, risking everything, making the ultimate sacrifice to stand up to. It's a, what it is, even though it doesn't feel like it, but what it was at the time, way it, one, it, it exploits a real fear that the Brits had that they were going to be invaded. They weren't. Uh, Iowa Jersey was, and it had nothing that, like this dramatic that happened there. Um, some stuff, but nothing like this. So this is... is so as some snippet of a war thing, this is a complete fantasy in that it exploits a real fear that they had that what didn't happen and that it, it they, they keep repeating the motif that they did their part and we fought back and that even though that's a big bloody emotional mess that's really affecting and kind of terrible, it's still a fantasy that we, we did our part in the war effort. You know, these people in these little villages just sitting there being scared all the time. And there is something, even if it's, even when it's handled in, in a realistic way like this, there's something cathartic about being able to fight back and being able to take out a few Germans in whatever weird way, being able to defend, you know, the, even the school teacher, which we touch or school teacher. Uh, she's not that, but the one who's overseeing the children, you know, that scene is amazing. But even that's a fantasy. You, you make, like you, you see the terms you use, this ultimate sacrifice to save those under your protection. I mean, it's, you know, it's. But yeah, I mean, but even, 
even though you, you're calling it a fantasy, I bought into it. It's like it feels like yeah, but it there's there's no way as a historical take... movie, it's a complete farce. Nothing, none of, nothing like this movie. happened it was at a all. Contemporary movie, there were still three years left of the war. Yeah, true, uh, but there, but the idea the by the time this film came out, the idea of a British of a happened. German physical invasion is pretty much nil. That's not really the point. The people who were living through this got super into it. I'm not saying that. I'm saying. I'm saying when we were talking about it, it's amazing. When you lay down the premise, it's just stupid and ridiculous. You don't have a whole group of Germans come into England and all be mistaken for English people for like a week. That's That idea is absurd. It's almost absurd that Rex Harrison can do it in reverse by himself, let alone that all these infantrymen or whatever from Germany could pull it off it's stupid but, that, but it would i i yeah, i get that but i'm saying as far as storytelling i bought into it and you had yeah. plenty of those little clues yeah, you know yeah. when they go in and the german soldier can only say no yeah and all yeah. of those little insights yeah, i yeah. think were so brilliantly set up you know the little pad of paper you know with the different seven you know all those little things it's like i i agree and in, in reality yes this is not going to happen but as far as storytelling, I think it was so expertly done and and in every way, like, um, you know, I already posted my letterbox review and I gave it a perfect score. I loved this movie. I couldn't believe how intense it was. Like you said, for this era, that's crazy. It is crazy. You know? And I, I think it is intense like that in visceral and uh, and harsh because as opposed to Night Train in Munich, which does take a lighter touch, is the people of Great Britain were were in the war at this point. They had, they were aware of all these harsh realities. They had all made sacrifices, lost people, um, were in fear that something like this could happen. Um, and there was a need to pull the punch because you you don't need to tell these people, you know, make light of it because they <clears throat> know the reality. Yeah, yeah. Even, even though it was. It wasn't reality at all. It, it, right. that, I'm just pointing that out. It's just not a. It 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 what? It, 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 well, I just it, it is had a, a it, fear that this could have happened. Yeah, and, it, it exploits know, a very very sure real fear, especially when they started making it started more than when it started rolling out in theaters. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I mean, um, it was released in Great Britain in '42. That's still mm -hmm. fairly early in the war. Yeah, but I might the, have been made in '41. But it's right. It's it's after this sort of thing had already happened in the war, right? Britain. The only part failed. that, yeah, the only part that really strained credulity uh, was when um, uh, was um, was when um, oh, what's her face? Uh, uh, Valerie Taylor uh, just had you know, and she just yelled Wolverine. That was the only part that I was like, yeah, I, yeah, I don't I think don't, I think it's masterfully done. I mean, I don't get me wrong when I'm ripping on it. I just want people to understand when they're going into it. Like this doesn't represent anything at all. Normally when you watch a war and it's part of because of like Rob said, where it was made, it was this fear, this very real, incredibly real fear that they had still. And it's based on that premise. But when you watch a war movie that's about a war that has this little event, it really is more like Red Dawn, which is also a, a big fascist Reagan-era fantasy where look at us, you know, look at us gun-collecting redneck kids, man. We're the one that are, are going to fight back and keep America free. Mm -hmm. That whole idea is just 
completely absurd. And it's no less absurd here, but... No, but I never would have... I never went into this thinking, is this a true story? I mean, I... I gathered yeah you know, it doesn't seem yeah. inspired by a true story no we don't I, yeah but they say it is they i mean they say it is when you're watching it well we the guy get, literally we looks, the, uh, looks you in the eye the war's been won so yeah he looks yeah. at you and so says it's all a lie that's just it, it's important to it's note that it's a story it's not yeah. a lie it's it, a story um let's uh so let's move on to that narrator uh, character is just lying he does nothing but lie the rest of the movie i'll give you is a kind of an expert story but Rod only Serling, thing i really wanted from he's just him making only shit thing up. i really i really wanted from him at the very beginning to just be like to be like oh didn't, <laughs> I didn't see you there thanks for stopping by yeah, yeah. <laughs> and for that's sure. what i that's the only thing i really wanted um, all right let's it's move. like nothing else i've ever seen it really wasn't a spectacular thing and this double feature in this order it doesn't it's wonderful the way the first movie the way they're related and yet the first movie sets you up for not being prepared at all for the second movie and that's it nope. that's what a great double feature is so i just Kudos to the big picture as well because it, it was yeah those were amazing I'd never seen I'd never heard of it went the day well and I'd never seen Night Train to Munich and it was fantastic way to spend the afternoon watching old war yeah. movies really yeah. awesome. Um, speaking of lighthearted, <laughs> let's move on to Michael's double feature. Um, uh, I but I boy, uh, it's it's hard to even. There's no in, there's no way to intro these movies. Uh, it is um, birth from 2004 and to, uh, 2017's killing of a the killing of a sacred deer. Yeah, um, two lighthearted romps uh, with uh, Nicole Kidman as our tour guide. Oh wait. Yeah. Hold on, Michael. I thought you picked this because the lead character was named Anna in both films. But is it because Nicole Kidman? This well, this, both? this is the interesting thing. I chose it because of Nicole Kidman. I also chose it because in my mind, neither of these films fit any sort of category. Not easily. Um, I would agree with you and there. Then the other thing I realized last night as I was falling asleep, because I just revisited these both yesterday, is that it's also upper class rich people being invaded by a lower caste child and it totally ruins their status quo and mm -hmm. i'm like i didn't that wasn't my intention when i chose them and then i realized wow that's a very big common theme for both films but um mm -hmm. i mean very quickly birth is um nicole kidman plays anna who's uh lost her husband 10 years ago she's remarrying she lives in super luxury um and this 10-year-old boy comes back and says, I'm your dead husband. Um, and that's kind of the setup for that. And uh, yeah, so I, I guess we can talk and about hilarity that. ensues. Yeah. Oh, man. <laughs> I mean, the thing, the thing about Birth, I, I saw that right after its release. And I, to this day, it's, it's one of my favorite films. I don't, I don't know how to quite describe it. It's, it's not like other movies. Um, in tone, in the way it's shot, in the way the music works, and and I don't know. I I'm I'm I've been in love with this film for you know 15, 17 years, whatever it's been since it was out. But it's um, it's just so odd. And I think one of the things that stands out to me, I think it's one of Nicole's best performances. Um, and the thing that I always go to when I talk about this is the symphony scene. Um, 
So it's right after she has this experience with the young kid who she's telling you, leave me alone, basically. And then it's this long shot of her and Danny Houston, who plays her new fiance, walking into the symphony. And it's literally five minutes of just the music playing and a close up on her as she's trying to figure out what has just happened. And, and you see all these emotions just running the gamut through her eyes and the way she's listening and thinking. And it's, it's just, it's so stunning to me. And yeah, I mean, I, I just love this film. I love the fact that it's so kind of open-ended, not for the Anna character. She knows what she knows, but it's, it's haunting. It's a very odd subject matter. And the fact that it goes where it goes is, it's crazy. But there, the mood of this film, I think, is the real star. That and the score by uh, is Alexandra Desplat. Desplat, is that how you say it? Um, I think this is one of just his early absolute, scores. Just an absolute and this genius. Is, it's so beautiful and, and weird. So that's my take. I, I adore this film. Yeah, beautiful. Right from the start, you're seeing things they don't usually show on films, those park drives and stuff mm -hmm. in New York. And... You know what I mean? Like it's just it, it really is a world of luxury. You couldn't live next to all those little bridges and walkways and stuff unless you're loaded. And it there's that sense that it's this old money and that these people live in this isolated world. And I, the movie doesn't really travel outside of it ever, right? I mean, you go no. to the symphony, but it, the symphony just well, you go to represents the kid's house briefly. Yeah, yeah, right. Okay, but it's still mostly it's this. You're secluded. You're sequestered into the world of these people, and that there's a like a, uh, I don't know what you call it when you're scared of, of like being locked in the closet or whatever. There's a claustrophobia. Claustrophobic, yeah. yeah. Yeah, you know, and I agree with you about Nicole. Stunning. You know, this film had a, when it came out, and it's such a shame because it's, it doesn't have a good tomato score even because the I critics, yeah. the critics at the time, well, you'd think the critics would at least have got it and liked it or at least appreciated that they were getting something different for a change. But it had the controversial bathtub scene in it, which which mm -hmm. is just sort of sucked all the discourse out of the thing. That's all anyone would talk about. It's neat when you get something in your movie that a movie that wasn't a big hit or wasn't seen by millions and millions of people, um, and it and it's talked about like that's good. But it didn't help this film at all, and it's. It's criminal that it didn't. It's well, criminal that we're such babies at the time and and even worse now that we couldn't see past that to what this was all. You know, it, it's not even the bathtub scene that was so striking to me yesterday watching it. It's the scene with the kid when he goes to Anne Heche's house. Yes. Mm -hmm. And what she says to him is unreal. Yeah. I, I, I won't say what it is, but you, you're sitting there listening to it and, and Heche's pretty spectacular in this film i yes. mean she's got a smaller role but no she but sells it and her this and, was a star making role for her you know what i mean and she's, her, she's fantastic her biography sort of became really complicated but this after this movie she was she was you know auditioning with all the top ladies in hollywood for all the biggest roles for about the next two or three mm -hmm. years well the other bonus of this film is i mean you got Peter Stormare, you got Arliss Howard, you got Lauren Bacall as the matriarch. Oh my God. And um, Ted Levine shows up in a small- Who, Who's the other the woman, is, the in-law sister? She's one of my favorite actors of all time and you don't get to see her in very many things, Joel. 
I've been sitting uh, here. Allison Elliott. Allison Elliott, <laughs> thank you. Allison's got this moment, and it's great because it, we are feeling what she's feeling. She's just got this moment during this. They're sitting down to dinner or something. She just said, just stop it. Stop this. And she's so... We, and we feel the same way. Like, we've come to this point of frustration, but Allison fills mm -hmm. it with just her looks. She, it's, and this is a tiny role compared to these other people Michael's mentioning, but you can mm -hmm. track her incredulity and anger yep. throughout the thing. And there's a lot of privilege wrapped up in that. This is not, this kind of thing doesn't happen to us. This crazy weird yes. stuff. It's not supposed to happen to us. And her, her, it's not a thing to be tolerated, but her intolerance of it comes from a very real place. It's very, very, well, the, the other thing I want to point out is I think Danny Houston is exceptional in this. Mm. I mean, the, the, the piano, um, sequences. I'm. I literally. I'm seeing this film many times, and yesterday my jaw just dropped. Yeah. I'm like, this is. It. It is. It is this disruption of what these people see as you know a, you know a norm that they've achieved, and it's it's so uncomfortable in so many ways. It's I. Yeah, I mean, I'll let you guys other talk, but I just, I, well, every time I watch this film, it's hypnotic to me. Yes. I can't. Hypnotic is right. Michael, I'd never would have seen, I saw this much later. I didn't see it at the time. I saw it because you said you got to see this. I don't remember. We were just trading recommendations or whatever. And, and I went and saw it right away because you're, 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 it wasn't so much your passion about it because I don't, I don't share a lot of the same passions with, with you in different movies. So I have to be careful when I go watch <laughs> something. But this one, you were so sure I would love it that I was like, well, I gotta, I gotta watch it like right now. You know, that's, it was awesome. And I'll just say one last thing before we turn it, Rob, before we get you it, weigh it in on birth because it really is extraordinary. Um, it, that, that, the world of privilege and world of the rich and stuff like that. None of that's that. There's no conversation that hits that on the head. That's all just a thing that the movie earns between the lines, which is another thing that I think is sort of incredible. It's not yeah. even what it's really about, but it is a, a weight that is is on the shoulders of the thing from every second, from the beginning to end. Well, the, the, and the we didn't mention proper. the kid's name, Cameron Bright, who's oh, a pretty wow. who's a pretty good actor, but was used in the exact same way in a successive amount of worse movies so that the world sort of got sick of him. But in this film, he's just otherworldly and incredible. And it's, it, and it's just beautiful. Like if you just like really pretty, wonderful, beautifully composed and lit films, uh, who shot this, Joel? Can you remind us the cinematographer? Sorry. I was just looking at Cameron Bright here. Give me a second. Sure. <clears throat> Uh, thank you, IMDb, for that ad. I appreciate it. Um, <laughs> That's great. It took a, took the wind out of my sails. Yeah, that was awesome. Cameron was X Men Last Stand. He was in a bunch of things. He's in a great episode as a teenager of the Four Hundred. I think the show was called as a dumb show. But his special power was charisma. Basically, he could just say stuff, and all the kids in his high school would buy into it. And of course, this by the end of the episode, this makes him a little mini dictator. It may just be a kid who just wants to party and have fun, but nevertheless has this mob of people at his mm -hmm. every word. And it was genuinely creepy. Cinematography on birth was uh, Harris Savides or well, Savides. <laughs> it doesn't ring a bell, but yep. props. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I definitely stuff. want to hear what Rob thinks of this. Okay. So uh, there are two films in the 
double features that I had not seen, this was one of them. Um, and I watch it with my wife and my son, Alex. And when you're watching with three people in our house, there's a lot of pausing to get another drink, to go to the bathroom. But every time we pause, we're like, okay, so do we think it's real? Do we think he really is a reincarnation? And yeah. <clears throat> oddly, that, can, that conversation continued after the end of the film. Yep. Where I feel like it's pretty clear at the end what did happen because of what Anne Hayes' character reveals. Yes. But my wife had kind of missed part of that. Like she hadn't, like she'd missed a line of dialogue or something. And she still believed at the end something different than, than Alex and I it's, did. Even if you catch it all, it's legit to still carry yeah. that feeling with you out of the well, movie anyway. Anna it really is. does believe it, clearly. Right. And maybe you know, that's, I when, think, that's I all think that's important. In, what's me is the clue in that, um, that, that it, it's legit is what uh, Bright says in his voiceover in the end. No one really knows what was wrong with me. Right. And that to me tells me that this was legit. Oh, really? Yes. Huh. I believe that it was. I mean, certainly Anna believes that. Yeah, and I think that it. it's one of the it's one of the most I think haunting endings of of anything that I can remember in recent years. It's so upsetting to see her mental state at the end. It's so primal and because she believes it. And it it's, and it's not it doesn't and the it doesn't have to be an, it. it's it doesn't have to be an either or either. It could be a scam no, and yeah. still be true. Exactly. Well, obviously, that's where um, Mike, that's where Michael landed. I I can see that. I mean, I I really can. I think that's a legit way of looking at it. The the film, it's not like it's open ended. It explains everything. But to it you, is open ended. You, you you've got to decide. But it is important that it's Anne's journey that we go on, and it absolutely is there with her. So that that's that's a reality of a type that I think is you have. You, you know, now deny. that you say that, here's here's. Here's one of the things that I was, uh, I, I didn't, I mean, I, I didn't really care for the movie. It was beautiful. It's all, but I, I mean, ultimately it's like, okay, yeah, I saw that. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but um, the, what was, you know, uh, uh, to me, one of the strikes that was against it, but uh, I, I will, after listening to you, Michael, I sort of feel like maybe this actually strengthens the argument is um, Sean, the, the, Sean that has passed away uh-huh. is an asshole. Yep. Yeah. And, and not just for what we learn about him, but from the moment we see young Sean, this is a, if, if we are to believe this is real, this is a guy who uh, has been reincarnated into a 10 year old boy. And he's like, I'm here to stop your wedding. You're mine. You're my wife. Yeah. And I'm like, you're a dick. And, I, and I, so it's like, and, and, but, and so to me, that was like totally a strike against it. And a reason why I, I did not, I never believed that this is, but listening to you talk, Michael, this absolutely might be a, a thing in, in, in favor of the idea that it was true, that he was reincarnated because this guy would be that kind of a jerk. He would go, 
No, you know, she's, she's, you know, yes, I may have done all of these other horrible things uh, to her when I was alive, but you know what? She's still my wife. He's well, just a, she, she, she was, she's, uh, and, and, you know, to, it, it does become a strike against Anna that really this was the guy that you were into yes. um, because, you, you know, this guy's a Neanderthal dick. Well, that's, uh, that's, so that's one of the things that I, on this recent viewing that I thought was so, was so striking is that did you not realize that, I mean, she's infatuated so much that she can't let go in death, but mm-hmm. do you not have any clue about what kind of person he was? Is it, is it, is it a defense mechanism? He was so perfect and I love him. It's so not much. as simple as that. It, she absolutely knows what he was. She, right, she's drawn to him anyway. And that's, that's why it's so wonderfully layered. There's so much going on for her character. It's like, she has to have known and I, the other thing I want to mention, and then I know we probably have to move on, but it's like, I, I want to go back and I, ha- I didn't do it on this last viewing, but I want to go back and are there any things that young Sean said or brought up that can't be easily explained away by the revelation we get through Anne Heche? Is there anything in there? Like if you go back and watch it, is there anything that he brought up that can't easily be explained away, thus giving us the idea that this is legit. Parsing the dialogue is an interesting idea, but I, I, I don't, I think, I don't think, I mean, it, I don't agree with what Joel's saying exactly, but what he's touching on is very real, which is she's, she's, this guy, when he was alive, was in command of her. Yes. That's how he wanted to be, and something in her wanted something like that in her life or got addicted to it or whatever it was. It's it's very, very nuanced more than I'm just attracted to a dickhead, and so I'm a weak person that shouldn't be sympathized with in the movie. Like, I don't see it that way, but it... He it it is striking that he's that the kid is that way. It's not like you're on his side, regardless of whether you're buying into the the i the central idea or not. I don't think it's I don't I just don't think that's that important when you're in the final analysis of this film. It it it, it, you, it you we can talk about well is it or isn't it, but he it's it's complex it's complicated she's a complicated person who's come to this spot and when she finds some absurd chance to get back into this sort of poisonous relationship absolutely can't help herself but sort of fall for it and believe in it yeah and that's i mean that that that's good character writing though yeah i mean the fact that i don't know what the movie would be like if he wasn't an an asshole i I don't i don't think it would be anything it would have been a little more saccharine you know like just kind of i just don't know what it would be yeah i think the whole thing falls apart he's he's domineering and controlling and manipulative and that's surely all the things that he was well there you get that nice little clue when lauren bacall is sitting with the kid in the hall and all she says to him i never liked sean you know, mm-hmm. that's and that's a good clue yeah. and additional clue that Sean, like you said, is a dick. Right, uh, clearly. I yeah. mean, I, there's no debate there. That is okay. absolutely true. Mm-hmm. So, a couple things. Uh, first of all, I never thought the the little boy Sean was being a dick or being possessive. I just saw it as because we didn't know what the real Sean was like at the or in the early stages. I just thought they had such a connection, such a true love yeah. that he was coming back. I, it played like that for me. I never, I didn't pick up on that, like, you're my wife kind of thing. If I had, I might have viewed the whole movie differently. 
Uh, but that just never occurred to me. Uh, the second thing was, I felt like, and we talked about, I mean, we talked about this movie a lot, that Anna isn't maybe as bright as you think she will be for being, having a successful, jo a high paying job and sure. things like that. Um, and so maybe she didn't know what her husband was really like. Maybe she was really easy to fool because early in the movie, it was a little frustrating because she kept saying, why doesn't she just say something? Why don't they just follow up on this? Why did they kept making decisions that just sort of like left everything unanswered. They, they didn't seem to be doing what a rational person would do in terms of, of following up on this or like, wait, what? I um, I see your point, Rob, but I don't see it as dimness. I see it as blinded. I don't see Maybe. it as anything other than she just is so grief stricken and overcome with emotion. She's not making sound choices. I mean, clearly when she says we're going to run away together, she's yeah, gone she's, over the edge. Yeah. You know? well, and, and the list of super, even hyper intelligent women we've known that end up with bad guys and vice versa, as long as you're mm -hmm. arm, it's yeah. inexplicable yeah. as to why you're drawn to another person. Yeah. And ultimately, and, and, and sometimes it's terrible for you, but you can't um, help it. <clears throat> before we move on to uh, Killing of a Sacred Deer, uh, at the time we're recording this, uh, Anne Heche has just recently passed away. Yeah. Um, and, and it would be, we would be remiss to not, uh, again, as we, as we mentioned, this is one of her, if not her best performance, uh, Anne Heche is terrific in this movie it's on the very um, short and, list of her best ever and, performances yeah too. and you know and though as she uh in her in in the most recent years you know unfortunately her biography is going to reflect some of the uh issues that she had in real life um and um and we're it's could be really easy to dismiss her as oh, that crazy Anne Heche. Right. Um, and it's uh, it, it, if you really want to, uh, you know, see why she was um, a star and for a while, one of the one of the elite stars of Hollywood for it was a brief period of time. But for a while, yeah. she was, um, you know, at the top of a, of a, of a short list. Um, it, it is it's performances like she gives in birth. And so we just want to acknowledge just, yeah. um, that, that she's, that she's so the, good. And, the small, and it's, extraordinary performance in the little film that launches you sort of into stardom. And her stardom yeah. was interrupted by her coming out and her all this stuff that really shouldn't necessarily have had anything to do with that, but yeah. nevertheless got super entwined in, well, into it. I mean, I chose this double feature long before what happened happened to her. And, yeah. and it didn't even dawn on me until yesterday. I'm like, oh shit, Anne Heche is in this. But I mean, I, I want you to go back. I mean, performance wise, everyone is phenomenal in this, but watch Anne Heche's eyes when she's confronting the kid. I love the way mm -hmm. her eyes move. You know, she's so focused and yeah, she's, it's a really good performance in a, in a sea of really good performances. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. and you, as you said, I, I, this is one of my favorite, if not my favorite Danny Houston performances. And he's, <sighs> he's been electorate in all kinds of things. I'd like you to stop doing that. Um, mm -hmm. And it's a fantastic <laughs> chance for Lauren Bacall 
because her later performances are are they're not they're all good because she's really good and she has this dignity about her that is unflappable and unshatterable. But yeah. this is the movie where it's it this is the movie that where it was worth coming out of retirement to be a part of something, even if it's a small part of it. And it's Anne, really Anne is extraordinary, yeah. and I really think people who only know Anne from, you know, Ally McBeal or whatever, I think you oh, go watch this, you're yeah. gonna be you're gonna Surprising. be rattled by it. And good yeah. for her. I I know she had. Her I might have explored this. Good for her for being yeah, able to I, look through the camera at us and have this captured forever. That's, watch, that's the yeah, dream of her, every actor. Watch her silent reactions when uh, you know Nicole comes to visit her and Peter Stormare in their apartment. Yeah, yeah. Because you know, you don't know what's going on yet. You know, yeah, but, and it's yep. it's it, oh, it was captivating my first time through. So yeah. Yep. Um, so killing of a sacred deer is a movie that exists. Um, <laughs> oh, wow. Okay. Them's fighting I, it's just, that, I, I say that with as little judgment as I can muster. Cause it yeah, is but a whole a bunch of judgment just came through. <laughs> well, just, I just mean like it exists. I'm like, it is, uh, you know, it is a movie unlike any other movie I've ever seen. Um, <laughs> It's different. Uh, yeah, it is. Um, it's I mean, a, that's, yeah. that's its oh. calling card, really. It's, mm -hmm. you know, it, what is it? Michael, Michael said when he started. Well, I'm, sure I will, I'm, I'm sure I will. I'm sure. Yorgos Lanthimos, uh, you know, uh, 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 a, a writer, director who, um, you know, yeah, he is. Boy, imagine what his dreams are like. Um, <laughs> he made lobster. He's able to realize. Right? Yeah, lobster. The and favorite. the favorite, which Joel loved, the favorite. I did. I love the favorite. Yeah, this is uh, this is a tough movie. This is a hard. This is a hard one. I'll say this before um, we dive into it. This is a film that it's kind of mean to compel. Although we're can handle it because we watch a lot of movies, but this is a tough movie to compel somebody else to watch in an unprepared sort of way. Yes, we we dumped this on our buddy Daniel last night. He'd never seen it, so. <laughs> He there was a lot of this, and Daniel won't be and Daniel won't be coming around much anymore. No, but I don't feel like anymore. But I saw this when I was still I saw this when I was still reviewing, and I gave it a five star score without hesitation. And two days later, I told my husband about it, and he's like, "Well, I need to watch it." I'm like, "Fine, I'll watch it again," and I did. Um, watching it last night, I think it holds up amazingly well. I think. The thing that kind of obviously the Nicole Kidman connection and of course the kid thing, but it's it is that defies categorization category. I don't know what this is. You know, yeah, it's, it's it horror, was a horror movie circuit, thriller. which is why you were assigned to watch it in the first right. place. But among horror fans, I remember it's, it only came out a few years ago. Yeah. They were, I mean, some people were like, this is the greatest thing ever. And other people were like, this is the worst thing I've ever seen. And I hate you for telling me to see it. Well, and that was the debate. It was really extreme sort of passion. It's so, it's so, I'll use the term brutal again. It's brutal. But it's know, not but horror brutal in the way we no, think, although it certainly it's, it's has its moments. It's psychological torture. Yeah. Yeah. It's but psychological it's, um, torture. That is the right but every, word everyone for this in film. The, all performances, they're at their top of their game. I've never really seen a lot of Colin Farrell. I think he's fantastic in this. But what sets this thing why, apart from Can me I is, ask, why haven't you seen a lot of Colin Farrell? I mean, he's been in every other movie since I he just, came I haven't. on the scene. Like the, it hasn't crossed my path. I mean, I want to say I've seen 
Like that's, I literally can't think of another Colin Farrell that's film. That's weird to me. That's all I'm saying. Um, but no, but it's I. It's again like birth. It's this very strange atmosphere that is very unnatural as far as cinema goer going and it's it's just not it's not a regular movie and that's why i think it's so fun it's a look into a world that's really odd and unfamiliar you know even the architecture of the hospital just every time we're in there it just makes me feel weird and the 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 filmmaker knows that these non things these non-story things are going to unsettle you in a kind of brilliant way i mean the story itself is great you know it's pretty simple vengeance tale yeah but it's what what sets this movie apart to me the first time i saw it i couldn't wrap my head around how much i adored the dialogue and the way it was delivered it's this sort of unemotional robotic stilted delivery that everyone even the children actors understood mm-hmm. and did it and it's so appealing to me because it's just it's odd it's, it's so the strange. opposite of birth in the in this way because i do see the connections in this movie, everybody says everything all the time. They talk about everything explicitly. The debates yes. between what's going on, the, what the threat is, you know, the ultimatum that comes down, and it, it's all there on the surface in the dialogue. And I, the dialogue does well, sort of crack in that way. It's it's fr- it's a frank. They have frank discussions about armpit hair and menstruation, and it's <laughs> so. Weird. I just weird is the only mm-hmm. way to describe this, but in in me, for me, a, an immensely appealing way because it's so out of the norm. But it's 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 also it's it's such an interesting to to watch the the manipulation as the film goes on from so many pieces. You know, once the father, once Farrell has the ultimatum, and how you see the rest of his family approach him is gross. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's. I, I cut my hair, Dad, just like you wanted me to. All those little things as it starts mm-hmm. to get toward the climax. I, I'll shut up, but I, I think this movie is so you wanna, without it is so spoiling odd. it. It doesn't. It, it sort of rolls out its premise a little slowly, but you want to give it a premise. Or Joel, maybe yeah, you want I mean, to just read the this, old fashioned yeah, synopsis. Yeah. Here's the here's here's what uh, the IMDb. Come on, IMDb, really? Uh, you know, this also could be my internet here. Um, Uh, Here we go. Steven, a charismatic surgeon, is forced to make an unthinkable sacrifice after his life starts to fall apart when the behavior of a teenage boy he has taken under his wing turns sinister. That pretty much sums it up. But it and it doesn't really it, reveal it much, no. which yeah, is that's really a fantastic synopsis. It's, pretty, it's a pretty good synopsis. That's what I'm right there. I have an issue with that synopsis. The word okay. charismatic. <laughs> yeah, charismatic. That's I. That, thank you, Rob. Because I was thank about you. to go. Yeah, no, that's the only thing that does. Yeah, <laughs> no. Charismatic. No one is. How, no one. Right. I, I want to believe that maybe that IMDb whoever was whoever wrote that was maybe being a little tongue in cheek because hey, that whole there's very little charisma in any of the characters. In, any of this guy's movies there's yeah you know it's all weird and awkward and stilted the favorite is that way lobster is a master class in awkward non-charismatic characters i, I need to see mm. that because i like the other films of his i've seen so. it's a it's a comedy yeah. it's a dark comedy but it's a dark yeah. comedy um with the with the capital d and the a and the r and the k are also mm-hmm. capitalized in that but it's Dog tooth is his as well right yeah <laughs> yeah so he's he means to torture us, and he does. I yes. mean, in a way, that's where I admire this thing. And I'll say one thing: Rob's got something to say, which you got to let him definitely do. 
Um, one of my oh, favorite. I mean, I have mixed feelings about this movie. I don't like it. I'm mad at it. But I mean, I I I watch a lot of movies, and I had the same kind of reaction as Michael. I didn't walk out going, you know, ten out of ten. But I did go. I did walk out going, what's happening, and why? What just yeah, happened? You, and you're how disoriented do I, by it. You just have to. You have to deal with it. You can't not. You can't just walk on with your life after watching this movie. And so many movies are so okay. What's for dinner? So yes. many movies are like that. So I really, really admire that I got that experience from it. But I like uh, an extreme experience. My favorite moment in this whole movie is it was improvised. It's kind of improvised. Um, the director told Rafi Cassidy in that park scene just to sing him a song. And <laughs> God. and it it oh. because she's she it, she's got stuff to do in the script. She's an extraordinary young actor, but she's got stuff to do in the script. But her her through line when the talking isn't happening is extraordinary. And that song is just the single. And I watched a, Joel. We did it. We did a whole pile of shows about them. The horror movies I watched that year. It was the creepiest, got under my skin moment in all the movies I saw during that calendar year was her singing that weird pop song acapella in the park to him. Yeah. Because it's just filled. It's just overflowing with dread. And I just hated it. And I desperately wanted it to stop. And it just kept going and going and going. And I was like, this is horrible. It's horrible. And so Mm -hmm. I think it's, I think the movie's torture. I think you need to be careful before you watch it, but you got to know that it's what it is. But but it is torture. It sets it's out to a, it's, torture it's an you experience. And, and does. Yeah. It's amazing, I think, in a way. Rob? Okay. So <laughs> I'm afraid now. This is my second time seeing it. Um, and when Michael announces as part of his, I just sort of went. <laughs> <laughs> and you know, as I was trying to fit these in um, long before Fringe would start up because I was going to have no time in the weeks before. Um, my wife's like, okay, well, we need to watch another one of those films. I'm like, yeah, I'm going to watch this one after you go to bed. I've seen it before. This is not for you. Um, <laughs> you know, know your audience. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's why this is a hard one to just put out to the world, like Ryan was saying. Is like, well, and Michael didn't really do that. We're, we're not the oh, world. Yeah. We're, we that's expect that. to be nope, challenged is... and stuff, and we yeah. know Michael – I yeah. just wanted to get it in there that we. Uh, what I'll say about <laughs> this film is, I don't like it. Um, <laughs> I it's it's similar, not in like level of greatness or anything like that, but in my feeling of a Clockwork Orange, where I recognize it as a director whose vision is all over the film. This is he wanted to do this he succeeded you know brilliantly in terms of executing what he wanted to yes the film has a a unique and unifying feel <clears throat> to it um but i don't enjoy it and and i not even in a way like schindler's list you don't enjoy watching it but yeah. you're you're wowed by its mastery, and you do say that yeah, that was a great film. Um, this I I can't say that because I just you know one of the things he accomplishes is having the actors all keep that same 
delivery style, but for me, it doesn't work. It mm-hmm. just feels so fucking bizarre. Sorry. Uh, <laughs> it just, it's so distancing and off-putting. Um, I liked it better the second time, the second time. In fact, when it was done, I was like, well, maybe it could have watched that mickey but uh yeah, probably better you didn't uh, <laughs> mickey only could have watched it the second time and that you yes, can't you exactly. can't really do that without watching it the first time right right <laughs> um so i did get more out of it the second time the first time i was just my son alex he's like oh you gotta watch this uh, <laughs> and you know this is, he loves this movie so wow this is his kind of thing uh but he pretty much just likes silent foreign films uh so this is sort of up his alley in terms of uh i don't know i i connect to movies emotionally and i couldn't find an ian emotionally to this one the second time through knowing what i was getting into i could appreciate the craft a lot more and i could go with the story a little more but i don't know how you say barry barry keegan yeah yeah i mean he's freaking creaky creepy um (laughs) so that that is a success like if if he was the only one who delivered the dialogue like that i think i would have liked the movie better if everybody else was grounded in a reality but how can you ground this movie in a reality i don't think it's in a reality the the things that happen are just they never tell you it has its own reality exactly it it is its own thing um and i I'll point out real quick too. We talked about the birth sequence of just focusing on Nicole's face because they did that in this as well in the spaghetti scene. And I'm it's yeah. it's I, I wonder if Lanthimos is like, oh, remember that scene we did in birth that was so amazing? We're going to recreate that here. So it's just her listening and just her reactions in her eyes. And she's she's a real asset to uh, to the to killing of a sacred deer. But I I wish I don't know the the. Uh, for obvious plot-related reasons, Farrell's doctor is given a lot to do, and she's not given much to do. I, I when and it's not any fault of the movie. Even I just wish if Nicole Kidman's going to show up, and, and she's going to be great like she is. I just wish she, the part be more worthy of her somehow. And I think in this movie, it kind of can't be. Yeah, I think it's you substantial. Know, that reminded me. It uh, is, but that. it isn't. It, it 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 isn't. It's it's a lopsided housewife of a character in this story. No matter, even though it's, even though, like you say, you just mentioned a moment where she's really kind of awesome in it. She's not that she's not awesome. It's just it's yeah. it's she's not an equal partner in the story, and 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 she's a big star and an amazing actor, and you feel that out of balance thing going on in it. That's all. That that scene in uh, Birth where they're in the orchestra, uh, in the theater uh, that you mentioned. Yeah. Now I need to see the movie again because what distracted me in that scene from focusing on her reactions was Danny Houston keep leaning over and talking to her, and I just want to shout, "You don't talk at the theater. You you but came was... in late, which is rude enough." Yes, and then you don't sit and have conversations with each other in a theater. The theater etiquette; those interactions were what were great. Yeah, yeah, I agree. agree, Clearly, she has a type. But we all have that. You know, you look at the road when you're driving. You do not speak during the sympathies. It gets you all distracted. I get it. That's funny. 
um i so i agree um a lot with what rob is saying so um I, but i do want to um i do want to make a special acknowledgement to uh to to those kids to uh um well first of all Funny. naming a child character bob is I love it to me yeah. is ballsy and really great because like <laughs> yes. oh hey bob hey bob yep. uh sunny's I, I don't know how to pronounce his last name properly sunny suljik suljik and uh and yeah and rafferty uh rafi cassidy um their commitment to this style whether the style works or it doesn't you know work that's that's debatable but to have two young actors so completely commit to the, the the style of this um to me i was just like yeah way to go way to go you guys that that was that was impressive uh from a from a performance standpoint from a you know but yeah it um uh this Joel, one i, I was i was angry i was angry at you michael for a little bit for a little while for uh for, that's for a legit reaction um, yeah, you'd have to Joel, agree. That's, so, a, that's a great takeaway from this is those kids are phenomenal at delivering yep. wooden dialogue yeah, mom, Bob is dying. It's so good. Yeah. He's um, so funny. He made my ribs hurt. Yeah. <laughs> yep. I just um, had my first period. Yeah, I, yeah. We'll so end this on an onion headline yeah. that I think is funny and goes along with what uh, Joel is saying. Um, drama breaks out at playground while Aiden and Aiden uh, team up against Aiden. <laughs> 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 that's it's pretty great um all right we got to move on let's it just let's shows you it. bob is mm-hmm. it's it's it is deliberately and crazily anachronistic for what we would have and 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 they make all this mileage out of it it's great mm-hmm. um one of the things let's we got to move on yeah. uh one of the things that ryan mentioned um in the in the last uh couple it was actually in the very first uh um 1982 episode that we did um a few years back because he was because of my costume choices and my mullet and everything that i decided to wear um uh ryan ryan rightfully pointed out uh that 1982 movies that came out in 1982 essentially are still very much the 1970s well the, it's a mix is where yeah. the 80s as we think of them from a fashion standpoint a music standpoint that sort of thing is yeah where so, it pretty much so happens. we have so the 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 um double feature that uh that ryan had us watch is 19 uh we're going to talk about these in reverse chronological order but it's 1981's absence of malice and 1982's the verdict so first off is the verdict verdict most requested show that we talk about during the 1982 series and if you watch those 1982 episodes and you thought we gave the verdict short shift well it's because here it is and we knew it was going to be in the next episode um the verdict's about a down on his luck alcoholic lawyer who trips into a case that has righteousness all over it and he like all the great fallen lawyer characters and all the great bits of cinema no less so than this one is completely seduced by the righteousness of the case very much very often to the detriment of the of his being able to argue it successfully or being able to prove it successfully or frankly being able to do right by his clients most of the film and it's 
And to say that is, isn't to say enough because it is one of those, it is a throwback to 70s cinema in a way where it's such a character dominated thing. And it's such a script. It's such a film that started with a completely finished script that was so good that they didn't change it a million times. The suits didn't sit down around a table saying, we need to explain this better. Like none of that happened here. This was written by David Mamet at the height Mm -hmm. of his Pulitzer winning powers. He's gone off the rails a little bit recently, but he, he wrote some stunning scripts around this time. And directed by Sidney Lumet, who's as good a character-dominated film director. He he rehearses films like they're theater. You can feel that precision in each scene once they finally get to it. It feels like it's theater that's been worked up into a cohesive mm-hmm. thing. And it's just got a to-die-for cast pretty much up and down the line. And I'll say what I said back in the 82 episode. I'll just repeat it here because it fits. This is my, I love young, hot, you know, taking his shirt off, Paul Newman, you know, back in the late 60s and early 70s. And, you know, I love the matinee idol in in HUD and in Cat on a Hot Tin Roof. And I like him and the Sting and everything. But it's kind of starting in the Sting where he's starting to feel a little older through this era where he's old, he's an older guy, but he's still a leading man in these movies. These are my favorite performances of his. And he's one of my favorite actors kind of just ever period. So that's the connection here, but there's some other connections too, that we can kind of talk about, but I'll, I'll let you guys have it as to what your reaction Um, to the verdict was. Well, I had never seen the verdict. Obviously I've been aware of it all these years. I remember that mad magazine did the verdict. I think is what they had. And so I kind of knew it from that. Um, But I was so super impressed with this. I mean, everything about it worked for me. I think performance wise, Newman was unbelievable. I was so excited to see Charlotte Rampling again, because we just talked about her a couple of weeks ago for Orca. Um, But just like you said, the rest of the cast is crazy good. Like every face that shows up, I'm like, oh my God, great. Okay. Yeah, great. You know, it was, it was kind of a kept unboxing like, oh, oh, now there's, Jack Warden and uh, oh 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 it's just it was great and and I I was so impressed with this it was such a good ride I was also um, one thing specific that I'll point out that just tickled me pink was um, his final summation and the way that it was shot I have never seen a courtroom drama with that angle of the wideness of the courtroom you've got the jury you've got the audience you've got all of the attorneys and and all in one shot. And I'm like, I don't think I've ever seen this in a courtroom. The balls to do that because you have to, you can only, you have to, you just have to live with what you end up with at the end of that, which today's filmmakers want tons of edits, tons of choices. And there's no choice when you do a shot like that. Yeah. And then they close in slowly on, on Newman, but the, the establishing portion of it was just breathtaking. Like that is so pretty, you know? And um, I, Love that they really took the time to set up Newman before everything starts to happen. You yeah. don't get that anymore, you know, but he literally has 20 to 30 minutes of this guy's sick. He's a sicko. He's gross, you know, and yeah, um, ambulance chasing and uh, booze. Yeah, just him getting kicked out of that and, funeral. Yeah. Is, yeah. Is and just, the other thing that I want to point out is, you know, one of the complaints that Elwood and I have frequently is when a female character exists only to support the heterosexuality of the male lead. And I'm like, okay, that's all Charlotte Rampling is. So to my surprise and absolute delight, that wasn't the case. <laughs> and I, we were both screaming because we're like, and 
And I, I think you mentioned this, maybe I'm remembering this wrong, but this and Malice, there is a certain scene that is repeated. Yeah, kind of. As... I mean, there's, it's not so much that. We'll, we, we'll, let's wait, if you guys don't mind, let's wait till we get to Absence of Malice and then we'll talk about the... Right, but I'm saying that all was justified to me. Like, I, it wasn't necessarily pleasant, but it was a, a nice comeuppance that I appreciated as, as far as watching the story. Yeah, as someone um, who doesn't appreciate comeuppance, it, 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 it no, worked. No, and I get it. I, I it it that, actually but... works in the moment better in this movie, I think, than the other one, because the other's got this long, drawn-out build-up to it, Agreed. even though even though the violence itself is slightly less so in the second one. It's hard to, hard to yeah. debate that or to rate that. But um, um, but well, I guess we're talking about it now. Let's just talk about it. The... It's, he just, there's a female character that just, by our, our, ostensibly our hero, this is a very gray matter film, but who he just, he just clocks her in the face, basically. Mm -hmm. And uh, my issue with it is not that he does that or that that happens. My issue with it is that the, it, in both cases, the movie seems to be, if not entirely, because they're nuanced films, it seems to be on the side of that being justified somehow. And it, I, that's the part I struggle with. It's not so much that, I mean, but violence I against all different people happen. There are reasons why it happens in these stories. They're not, it's not taken no. lightly, but it is sort of like you, you deserve this somehow. And that part and she I... does. I mean, I'm not saying I approve of that, but I'm saying the character did what she did. Yeah, yeah. He is reacting authentically to what he has discovered. True. I don't see it out of place. It's not a pleasant moment, but as far as, looking at it from the perspective of you know newman's character i'm like of course yes yeah. that's what you would do yeah like i said it's that it's that one extra it's not really that it's not in the moment which i, th I agree with you even joel is nodding um it's that i think when you take a step back the movie seems to say like and this was a really weird we don't do this anymore but this at the time this was a weird almost women's lib thing. Hey, you can be in a movie like this and you can be this kind of person and you can get this kind of thing happen to you just like a guy. I, and there, you see that in the Hill Street Blues. You see it in like the 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 pop culture of the day and, you, and it very quickly went away, <laughs> which I'm yeah. grateful for. And so I appreciate it even in a time capsule thing, but I, I still, when I watch these movies and I love them both kind of equally... Well, I think I still feel awkward and terrible thing. at both moments because I really yeah. feel like the movies, if the, <clears throat> neither of them, neither of them does that in a way that it is really prepared to. The, neither film is prepared to suffer the consequences for that having happened. Well, I think it. it's more justified in verdict than it is in malice. I think so too as because it's it's this. I don't think he even knows he's going to do that when he walks up no. to her. I well, really can, don't. I mean, because so. it's a very long pause for him to actually do it. Yep. There's there's something going on there, and I think that's what's interesting about it. You know. And by the way, I'll say one more thing about the verdict. That is the coolest ending I've ever seen. <laughs> I just, I couldn't believe it. And it, I was so thrilled with the, it, that. Abruptness. It's awesome. That was great. It's I, not like, again, it's not like it's open-ended, but it just, it just, it well, gives that's, you that's, only that's one of the what, similarities between that and malice. It's it very gives you, well, and even the, the darkness, the gray, gray and brown world of it, the, you know, it, it, they, visually, they do share quite a few similarities, actually. It's urban, but it feels really, really old because the courtrooms yeah. are old and the bar he goes to is old and everything, yeah. you know. And I love James Mason's, like, 
uh, pep talk to his associates. I love that scene to this day. It's, Mason is so great in this. Well, the the moment Mason's when Lindsay Cross so gets on this. the stand, and he the, the well, I kept the cop the look. On Mason's face is like I want to frame that and put it up on, on my wall. And that was Jack Warden too. Reaction. I mean, that's it's to me. It's those four people, but everybody is really amazing. That couple that he's trying to help there every time they come on screen. They, it, it, I I don't know the actor's name, but the the male counterpart in that couple was the um, coroner in Arachnophobia. Just yeah, sure. right. And and of course Roxanne Hart was the main yes. squeeze coroner slash sword specialist in Highlander. James She's, Handy is who you're talking about there, yeah, James, James Handy. Handy. They, yeah. But they, they're both, this is the best movie they were ever in. It's sort of sad. They're both really young. They probably think their whole careers are ahead of them, which they are, but this was the best movie they were ever in, and they, they're important. We don't spend a lot yeah. of time with them, but they're, what their needs are, what, what their grief is, as opposed to the, the combative sort of courtroom battle that's going on and how it doesn't yeah. really serve them it's important to see all that and i really love that about it so Rob? okay you know both of these films are just super solid super good films um the the draw for both of them for me is paul newman mm -hmm. it's just you watch this and you just it's just like watching a master class in acting. He just becomes whatever character it is. It's recognizably Paul Newman, but he just he knows how to be on screen. He just Amen. knows how to how to play everything. It just, you know, I try and take some notes when I'm watching films for these. And for both of those, I'm just sucked in by Paul Newman's performances. Mm -hmm. And I, I end up with no notes. And I just like wow just paul newman is is what my notes say <laughs> paul you know, newman he's, is yes, in this yay it's incredible uh the verdict for me it, it the other thing it really accomplishes is this feeling of place and yeah. and 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 time and you know it's i don't know it just the night scenes when he's going to the hospital to try and talk to the doctor it just mm -hmm. feels outside. I can feel like I'm in Fargo outside on a cool winter night, just trying to stay warm. And it just, I don't know. There's something about the cinematography in it too. That yes. I don't know who did it, but it just, it's beautiful looking for, for being such a dingy world. Um, yeah. yeah. It's both. Of, you know, it's, it's, cramped office spaces and but it all looks so real and so lived in who did and the cinematography it, it feels like gordon willis but i'm pretty sure that it isn't him actually it does feel like him though doesn't it yeah because it's all these yeah. dark profiles and everyone's sh shrouded in shadow yeah. and you you see the outline of what's outside the window behind them rather than the details on their faces stuff like that is very yep. willisy but Cinematography by Andres Bartviak. Bartowiak. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. He's good. Very Eastern European. That's actually a fit. I agree. Obviously, both of these films that, that Ryan chose, I've seen multiple times. The verdict mm -hmm. uh, you know, is, is definitely a favorite from this period. 
Before we move on to absence of malice, and we should make sure we're saying absence of malice so people don't think we're adding a third Nicole Kidman movie into this ah, uh, yes. uh, in malice. Um, but uh, I, I, yes, I agree with uh, pretty much everything you guys are saying. Um, I, I did have a difficult time in watching it this time, uh, just going, Oh yeah, well you know this. There's no way the jury would actually find in favor of uh, Paul Newman. Um, it, that's that's really that's very strange. Um, there's no way. There's it's set no up, way. It's set up by the doctor where he says you mm-hmm. gotta just have faith that people will hear the truth and Joe Seneca is yeah, that fan, fantastic yeah. line yeah. and a so, fantastic and that, part and it. So you can halfway buy it, but you're right. There is no way. Um, and and the only other thing I I I, I really thought is um, and I'm gonna assume that this was in the script like this from the very beginning. But the moment when Jack Warden is revealing something a a, a wonderful twist to Paul Newman is done from a massive distance shot, and you don't hear it. Uh, and it's spectacular. It's wonderfully done. And all I could think about was how pissed David Mamet must have been that his precious, his precious words weren't allowed on the screen. Oh, yeah, because you're right. There's no that chance moment. that Mamet didn't write dialogue oh, for that. Mamet oh, of course. Absolutely wrote yeah. that. And I'm guessing that that probably Jack Warden and Paul Newman delivered that dialogue no. all that distance. And then probably Sidney Lumet probably just went, oh yeah, no, it doesn't need it. This doesn't is really great. It. I like this. <laughs> it's uh, it's great. Probably, You're right though. Yeah. And Mamet was probably like, my words, how dare he help me drop 14 F-bombs. Uh, he wouldn't have done. He um, just. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That would have been uh, Mamet's but reaction. Abs- so we have the verdict, and then we have absence of malice, uh, which um, uh, let's we have uh, Sally Field is in this. Sally Field is in this, guys. Sally Field. She's really the main character this. of this, I think, a little more than he is. Although it's very much a split. You know. Oh no, that's Joel's memory is failing him, or his. Uh... <laughs> is he still there? You still there, Joel? I, I am back. here. If you guys can just keep talking, if you can keep talking, yeah, it's a uh, hotel internet. So okay, but you just froze up, but you did yeah. come back. Let's talk oh. a little bit and see if you can't maybe adjust some things and get a little more power. Um, absence of malice. Uh, it's it's. I remember the interviews at the time. Um, people were calling it the anti. All the president's men, yeah. which I think is weird. They were. Uh, Newman said, oh, you should see the way I just stuck it to the press in absence of malice. I really think the press, the editor, the lawyer, like they all come off pretty, certainly Sally comes off pretty like, I don't have well-meaning is the word, but absent malice. They really are doing what they think they're supposed to be doing in this situation. Um, Paul, Paul Newman's character, not to skip to the end, but in the very famous deus ex brimley ending of the thing <laughs> they, they he even says the line the the <laughs> oh, I'm every, I, it sounds like everybody life. was just doing their job but somebody lost their life who do i talk to about that and mm-hmm. that's a 
really powerful moment from a really movie star that more so in this movie than the last one because he doesn't have quite the same amount of baggage it just is spoken with movie star type authority i i love a big moment like that that sums everything up and i like i love sally during this era and i think that she's thrilled to be in a great movie this is the other sydney sydney pollock directed this and it's very classy um, I think this movie's a little more simple and a little more thematically on the surface for you, but most movies compared to The Verdict are, honestly. That's why I kind of put this one second, because I feel like as a build-up to The Verdict, it doesn't it doesn't suit, but as a come-down from it with an equally solid film, it's a pretty good... It's a movie you can watch after The Verdict and still it can still be its own thing and have a certain amount of power. That's why I picked it as a double feature. And that's why I picked the reverse chronological order that I did. Um, um, and I love Melinda Dillon and I always have and I don't think she's ever better than she is in this. I think that... I think... I think what... She, it's She just does what's there in this beautiful, innocent way that she always is in her films and in her characters. Um, she just exudes that. So it's amazing casting... But it's it's more than that. She's got to carry the weight of the consequences of the thing. That it's got to you've got to remember her and be mourning her the whole time. And if you lose track yeah. of her at all, you you lose track of what the movie is, the human carnage of what this stuff is. And of course, Brimley, oh God, Bob Balaban and his rubber bands. I, I, Bob Balaban. Oh my God. When I was a kid, I just was I. Now I watch it. I'm like, dude, that's a little. It's a little much. Your little business or whatever. But when I when I was a kid, I was like, he's the greatest actor ever. Like I just, I'd never seen anybody just be so, so choicey and choosy in every line reading and every everything. It's it's technique only really, but it's delightful acting um, technique and. I I love Joseph Summer. I can't remember the name of the, who plays the lawyer, but he's fantastic. Yeah, and that in that in when they sit down and have that scene where he's like, "All right," when he comes walking into the newspaper office and throws the thing down, and then the next they don't they don't show him. Oh, let's get the lawyer. The next scene, they're all sitting in a conference room and the the lawyers there. At that intolerable way they talk about this, without talking about the real meaning of it and how a a, a guy who views the world in a sort of simple way and yet is Im- immensely intelligent can't doesn't get it, doesn't get any answers, doesn't get any satisfaction from that conversation. I love that too. So, and I love the, I even we're... the cheesy lunch boat chase by the guys. <laughs> <laughs> uh, John Harkins, John Harkins is the, the lawyer. He's great. I mean, that that's, a, yep. that's awesome stuff. So, all right, sorry, I'll shut up. Um, I didn't like this one. Uh. <laughs> Um, I thought their chemistry was negative zero. Um, Maybe. I I just, I couldn't buy it. Whereas like Rampling and and Moomin, I I bought it. Um, I think this is one of the lesser field performances I've ever seen. Really? Um, I just, yeah, didn't didn't care for her in this at all. Worse than Smoking the Bandit Part 2? Well, I haven't seen that in a while. That's the era we're talking about. Right, but I... You know what started it off is I didn't buy her cigarette smoking right at the top. I'm like, mm. eh, I'm not really kind of buying you in this. So 
Um, the only relationship that gave me any pleasure was uh, her relationship with her editor, which I thought was lovely. I can't think of the actor's name. I thought that Joseph, was Joseph well Summer. Yeah. Yes. Um, I think that was the most powerful thing in the film, other than Dylan's scene with with Field out of the park. Um, yeah, I didn't like this. It just it didn't click for me at all. I felt it was kind of boring and just kind of wishy washy, and it just it the, it it didn't it didn't push like the verdict. I was invested from start to finish. This I liked certain things, and um, but the main thing that was a problem for me is that they had no chemistry. I thought Newman was uh, fantastic, and I thought I was going to die at how handsome he was in this film. And um, but it was the I don't know. I mean, you you mentioned the fact that the characters in the press are all pretty well meaning, but I I didn't I didn't necessarily like her. I mean, I, well, I right that I think that's appropriate. You know, I it, it, she. They know they're being played and they roll with it anyway. I mean, they do make those choices, but it's that's in their compartmentalized world. Those are the choices that you make. And, and, and the film, I think, from a plot standpoint, it's written by a newspaper man, sets up the issues like it comes up with this example of a thing that sets up those issues in that debate. The, the debate over the press's responsibility, this, that, and the other thing. I mean, it's quaint. It's like when you go back and watch broadcast news now. It's still brilliant. But the 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 kernel of the thing that's the that's the that's the tragedy, that's the crime of it, is just silly by today's standards. It's it's because because as a just the world has gone off the rails in terms of its integrity. But I still, as a period piece, which this is very much, yeah. I still find value in this story and in that debate. And I think they personified that as, as well as you can. I don't know about chemistry. I don't, that's a, to me, that's always been an overrated thing, but that might explain why I like this so much better than you, because I can't really deny that they're, they're awkward around each other completely and almost all the time. But I thought that was what it was supposed to be in a way. Well, I, the, the other thing that pro I had a problem with it, I, the score, I know it's gruesome, right? And it's, yeah. the score is also tonally weird to me. And it, it set me up for things that didn't pay off. Like the kind of goofiness of her boarding the ship for the lunch. I'm like, is this supposed to be a rom? I'm like, I was very confused by things. And, and Grusin's score misled me numerous times. And I, I found that really irritating. Um, and the, the last thing I'll say, which I was one of my favorite parts of the movie is um, when they part ways in the end of the film and she turns back, Newman has already turned away. And I thought that was a brilliant choice. Do you know what I mean? He wasn't yeah. watching her go. Right. She turns back and he's already on his way. And I yep. thought that was yeah. beautiful. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But I, I just overall, I didn't I didn't like this film very much. That's my take. Anyone oh, Rob. Else? Okay. Uh, Paul Newman. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, mm -hmm. Paul Newman, right on the path. He's great. He's Newman, better yeah. in the verdict. Yeah, yeah. Um, he's very, I, he's rarely been better than he is in the verdict. I mean, yeah. he really that really is stunner a stunner. Um, I would have flipped these in terms of double feature because I think after the verdict, it's. You know, absence of malice doesn't compare. I yeah. like it. I don't feel the way Michael did, where I, I didn't connect or whatever and stuff. But I do agree with the chemistry aspect. And I think that is something that it either works or it doesn't work. And even if it works in the film, 
it works for some people and it doesn't for others. It's a sure. personal thing. It's like who you're attracted to in real life. It just, it just is, and you can't explain it or whatever. And, and if you're supposed to feel that, and maybe you're not in this one as, as much, maybe, you're supposed maybe to you are, but I, to me, it's not the central thing. This isn't a wacky right. romantic comedy where a reporter and a gangster's kid meet up and fall in love. Yeah. They, they're, it's important that their interactions be mm -hmm. effective, but it it's, and there is the film. It's not like it's not romantic. It's just that's not what it is. That's that the movie doesn't shouldn't rely on that, and I don't think that it does. And so, yeah. And I, I even it, think the movie in the end, as Joel, uh, Michael sort of pointed out, I mean, you, it lets you have it either way. If you want to think they're going to meet up again in the future, you it it open leaves that door wide open for you. But it also demonstrates that they've come to an ending of this thing very much. And if you want to believe that's it that's there for you as well. So, you know, it doesn't really rely on that sort yeah. of payoff. I really don't think that it needed them to hook up right. the film. I think it would have been a better film if that hadn't happened. It would have kept it on, uh, yeah. on the theme of, of the paper and w what the press's responsibilities. It would have are. been a braver, better story. And it wouldn't even been, that different like it just if they right. didn't i am with you there yeah. if you took that out of there it that's a couple of scenes that you lose well right? it's also the fact that i i think it's a it's a misstep by having them hook up romantically based on his relationship with the melinda dillon character how can you get past that i well they've never way, hooked up no i'm not saying no, they did but... i'm saying but his friendship with her and what he is perceived as what she did Oh yeah, I don't. I don't see how you can get past that ever. You yeah, know, even if there are sparks that don't really actually like I say, I, it, it, people do though. But in a cinematic way, I get what you're saying. It, people don't typically in the movies. They wouldn't. That's where the other assault on a woman comes, and this one's right. more. It's weirder and clumsier and more drawn out. But she, she, she I don't want to spoil the big thing that happens in the movie, but it's hard not to by even talking mm -hmm. about this. But he, again, is given reason. He's really given reason to be infuriated with her by the, by what the story elements. And he even warns her, you shouldn't be here. Get out of here. I'm warning you. Yeah. And I don't, I, I don't mind that scene so much. It's the scene later where he brings her present and says, he's not going to apologize. Like that scene is like, that scene's weird. And from the movie standpoint, I, I feel like the movie's saying, I feel like the movie's trying to justify that bit of violence. And I don't think there's, I, even given the crazy, it's human and I get it, but given the even given the crazy it, it, circumstances, it, you, it, the movie, not the story, but the movie can't justify that to, to, and have me sit comfortably with it. And I feel like from an out, again, from a step back from what's going on in the story, the movie the movie says, no, that was an appropriate way to react, and it, it isn't. Well, I mean, on that note, though, I think it's her best moment in the film is her reaction to yeah. what has just happened, the violent yeah. scene. He really hurt really her powerful. on the set of that film, and she didn't tell him because she didn't want to upset him. This is just wow. se sexual oh. politics of 1981 all over in real mm -hmm. life on the set of this thing. She, but And she had a point. She's making this movie with him. She's not angry with him. But she was really assaulted and still was like, you know, we don't want to, that's, if uh, if that even comes up, that's all we're going to deal with for the next two weeks. Like, as an artist, Sally was savvy enough to understand that she should, well, to make, at least to make her own choice as to whether she should 
react to that or not. It wasn't Mm -hmm. like it wasn't rehearsed or, you know, they, they're a couple of old school actors. They got really into it and it's, you feel that in the movie. It's really disturbing and awful. And then there's that moment where she's leaving and he, he says that line that just breaks my heart every time I hear it. And it's amazing that I can have this reaction after that struggle that they have. But didn't, didn't you like her? Yeah. It's just such a, you know, even in a stupid, even in that stupid deep impact movie, you know, that James Cromwell has that line. Oh, I, I know you're a reporter, but you used to be a human being. It's, yeah. To me, I will say, right. To me, that's one of the big, that, that's one of the big things about this movie is that she literally can never be a person. Yeah. She is a reporter first at all times. And it's, she, she even it's says that maddening. to Dylan's character. It's you know maddening. who you're talking yeah. to, don't you? I mean, yeah. she tries to play it. You straight. are talking to a newspaper right now. Yeah. And, and yeah, and it and it's infuriating because you're just like, what a sad way to live. <laughs> what a sad way to live. Um, but this movie, you know, uh, real quick, I'll, I'll, we, we do have to move on. Uh, yes. I, I do. I will quickly agree, though, with Ryan. One of the best aspects of this movie is the fact that uh, we now have the phrase deus ex brimley. Um, and if <laughs> it doesn't, know, I don't know what else. And if you have it, it, I mean, I don't know what else. Yet, but if you have it in another movie and it doesn't work, it becomes a diabetes ex brimley. <laughs> oh, my God. Uh, I will say this real quick about Wilford Brimley, whom I love. Yeah. I thought he was so ridiculously over the top. And I almost couldn't take it. And I love Brimley. I love me some Brimley. So and this scene, I'm like, this. okay. He's like, I I'm sorry that. for the love of Christ. Sorry, blah, blah, blah. You know, transcriptionist. I'm mm-hmm. like, all right, no. Anyway. <laughs> so yeah, I mean, I, so I get it. And yet I don't, um, I can't relate to what you're saying. I just, was, <laughs> I loved it. <laughs> I, but I get what you're saying. It's yeah, like, it's the, so joyous. as always, the criticism is on point, but the the feeling I get is just sure, overwhelms. Yeah, overwhelms. Absolutely. <laughs> I, I could not agree with both of you. Um, all right. Next up is uh, our final two movies of this double feature uh, it, it are my are my choices. And um, God, I hope Michael liked at least one of them. Um and it, uh, these are movies about how um, music affects, uh, it, it plays such an integral part in our lives and in our and in shaping us and who, who we are. Uh, my movies are uh, 2000s High Fidelity and 2019's Blinded by the Light. Um, High Fidelity is uh, the story of Rob, played by John Cusack. He's a record store owner and compulsive list maker, and he recounts his top five breakups, including the one in progress. And Blinded by the Light is the story of um, an English teenager in 1997 from an Asian family. Um, Learns we lost you again, Joel. His life and find his dick of a Maritar Spring King. We didn't, oh, we, we didn't hear that. Buddy. I knew, I knew that was going to happen as soon as I'm like, as soon as you decided you, you wanted to talk, your computer was like, <laughs> nope, F you, Joel. Your movie sucks. Really? <laughs> really? Oh, yeah. man. Well, we this heard, is why okay, we, we heard high, high, Hopefully. High, high fidelity. We heard the setup for that. The high the, fidelity and blind, blinded, yeah, blinded by the by light. The light. Is the story 19- of a yeah of a of a young yeah, I, Pakistani I, Englishman who who it, it, it yearns for something different than his humdrum existence and finds inspiration through the music of Bruce Springsteen. I made that synopsis up, but are we? Is that cool? 
It's pretty darn good. That's pretty close to uh, even just the IMDb <laughs> one. Okay, cool. Um, oh, so oh, slowly, Joel, without moving around very much because your camera doesn't like that. Yeah, apparently. What do you love um, about this and, and why this double feature? Yeah, to me, um, High Fidelity is one of these movies that, uh, you know, as I was, um, as I've been, you know, growing into adulthood, it is that idea of letting go um, or, or coming to grips with the what you think is the fantasy of your life. What is it that you think your life is going to be versus what your life actually is and how difficult that can be sometimes to reconcile the two. Nick, um, and High Nick Fidelity Hornby wrote it. Yeah, Nick Hornby, the writer of High Fidelity. And um, yeah, and, and then this one, you know, it's he... He is. He's a he. He's a, a man child who is just, just absolutely obsessed with what he thinks his life should be, um, and uh, and he's and, anchored by that by the disappointment of that. Basically, he's, yeah, he's yeah. He, it's not that he can't make friends or that he can't attract beautiful women or that he, but he can't sustain those things because there's this kernel of unhappiness at the core of who he is. And Joel, I didn't think about this, but this is the way you said it is perfect. It's because he, it's it's because he's not come to grips. It it really is the the difference between to me. Nick Hornby writes the same story over and over again, and what he's ultimately saying is, um, you if you don't change, if you don't evolve, if you don't keep, if you don't roll with the changes to some degree, you get stuck, and and nothing really can go right for you. And this movie's like that mm -hmm. too. But the difference really is that in About a Boy, which we watched last Christmas, where the guy's just in a rut that is very comfortable to him, this guy's in a this guy's tormented by his own disappointment. And it mm -hmm. and people want his his girlfriend in the movie is played by somebody I don't think I've ever seen in any other movie. Right. She's fantastic. Yeah. Uh, even uh, I can't even uh, conceive of how to pronounce this last name. Iban uh, uh, It's She's a Danish act, Danish actress. She's, I mean, she's very impressive in it. She's the catalyst. She just stays on him every time he. It, it feels like, oh, I'm obsessed with my ex girlfriend, but it isn't that. It, you get you grow to learn that he just. This is unfinished. There's something here that's meaningful and it's unfinished and neither of them can really properly let go of it because of that. And yet she's come to the realization that as it is, she can't stay with him. And that mm -hmm. part of the frustration with the movie, although this on its own is, is wonderful, part of my frustration with the movie is the way that is divorced from the rest of his life somehow. They're like two different things, which I think it makes it, it oversimplifies it some, to some degree. Although it doesn't, because all the other stuff in his life is so entertaining. Like, this movie's so fun and funny and entertaining. You know what I mean? Like, that I'm not complaining. But I just wish, well, in About a Boy, all this stuff melds together in this amazing collision of emotion and yes. stuff. And in this movie, it's very compartmentalized and stuff. And even his big change into accepting his life, spoiler alert, I guess, although it happens two-thirds of the way through the movie, um, mm -hmm. is... It, it, it isn't because of that. It's like a thing where he finally listens or he finally, something happens, something snaps, but I don't feel like we see that moment mm -hmm. happen. And part of that is, agreed. 
part of that is Hornby writes in this way that he writes first person and in about a boy it's all voiceover in this it's more like uh and went the day well where it's all a direct address which is really tough to do in films Mm -hmm. it's fun it's fun direct address because it's so well written it's like ferris bueller kind of yeah that's a cheap comparison but that that's a comparison we can all relate to it's a fair one i think it's fair it yeah it, but that keeps you, at, to me anyway, that keeps you at bay a little bit from what's going on with him internally. But, it, but, and I'll say one other thing, Joel. I don't want you to think I'm ripping on this movie. High Fidelity is a fantastic movie. Nick Hornby is a fantastic writer. John Cusack produced this and co-adapted it and had his heart and soul was into it. You can feel a really, really good actor yes. really, really wanting to sell the central ideas. And the central ideas in this movie work. I spent my whole life, though, in record stores, you guys, and and Hornby has as well. But what you see in this movie is a really, really cheap stereotype of what that is like. Yeah. And that, even though that's super entertaining, because stereotypes are pretty fun, and Jack Black is really great, and who's the other guy yes. in his cohort? Dick. Dick. He's he's even better. <laughs> Dick. Yeah. Uh, Todd Todd Luiso. He's even better. Um, he, he's even better. There, it's so fun. But I wish it was. I wish it was a little more nuanced well, than it is. My mm-hmm. my thought on this. This is the first time viewing, and um, I my main takeaway as far as an issue because I also really enjoyed this. I loved the supporting cast: Jack Black, Tim Robbins. It was all so much fun. Yeah. My issue and is that Cusack's character is a douchebag. Yeah, yeah I can't, he is. And that's a really hard thing to pull off. And I don't think they succeeded here. If you're going to follow this guy along, you kind of want to like him. But he's a stalker and he's a baby. And I'm like, I don't like you, even though I really, really like Cusack's performance. Like it was very hard to kind of get around the fact that I don't like this guy. You know, mm-hmm. you're making stupid choices and you're not growing up. And it, it, it was I found it irritating, not only for that, but then the fact that I enjoyed so much else of it. I had a really good time. And and the other thing I want to point out is um, the actress that you mentioned, the lead. I don't know who lit her, but that was the most glorious, <laughs> beautiful lighting. Con- yeah. Every time she showed up, it was angelic. It was yeah. so pretty. Um, and the other thing I want to mention that. Um, and I just thought, oh, um, I didn't know this was a Frears film, even though I did when the name came up. I'm like, wait, Stephen Frears? And then I realized, yeah, you did know that. But this is this is where I started the film. I'm sitting down to watch this with my husband, and I'm like, yeah, so um, Anthony LaPaglia and Rene Zellweger and Maxwell Caulfield are in this. I'm really excited with John Cusack. Oh. No clue that, I mean, literally yeah. halfway through, I'm like, when did these people show up? <laughs> Not realizing that it was Empire Records, which I've never seen. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, in my head, these are conflated. And I think they came around the same time, right? Sort of. Um, this so came anyway, quite a bit later. Yeah, and it's a different I, kind of movie, but yeah. I, I'm sure, but it's in my head. That's what I was watching. I had no clue. But I I, I was really, I really enjoyed this. I, I Jack Black, I think, was kind of my standout. And generally in films, and I get it, it makes sense here, because a lot of films when I was reviewing it irritated me when characters would talk knowledgeably about music and film because it just felt like this is the this is the filmmaker writer talking about their knowledge and it, I always right. found it to be so cheap. I mean, obviously, it makes sense in this, and I didn't have that issue. It 
it made sense because that's their life. But, well, Hornby, and this is in his but, book too. He starts the movie by having a normal guy come in looking for a normal record and getting shunned and belittled and having that guy stand up for himself to these dickheads in the store is important. Like it's important that that's there because he's telling mm -hmm. you it, it, even though this is what this is about, this isn't really okay. And if that scene yeah. weren't there, I, 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 I think you, it would, the whole rest of it would really miss something. He, he doesn't just have that happen. He starts with it. And he, and that's, yeah. and Frears knows and Cusack knows that's not a throwaway moment from the book. Sure. That's really, really important. And I very, well, very, it shows up and you're right, Michael talking down to you, you know? Yeah. yeah. And you're right, Michael. I mean, it does, it does show what a douchebag uh, he is. He, these are music snobs. These are absolute snobs. Um, yeah. And and when that and the other guy, when the other guy comes in and kind of calls him on it, they're like, yeah, but we're right. We're right. So, you know, it's like, OK, yeah, it, uh, uh, I want to throw this to Rob. Rob and I actually had a uh, uh, our own little private conversation about this movie uh, after he after he because he and I happened to like rewatch it on the same day, I think. Yeah. Um, and we we were texting back and forth. Um, Rob, talk about high fidelity and then we'll move on to blind. OK, by the light. Uh, well, first of all, this was one of my favorite books uh, before the movie came out. And when I read that they were making a movie, but transplanting it from London to Chicago, mm -hmm. I was pissed. <laughs> I'm like, no, I mean, this is a British film. This is a British story. This, these are British characters. Uh, and I was, I was amazed when the movie came out, how well it translated. Um, that I didn't feel like we lost anything. Um, so I love the film when it came out. I, I had seen it several times, but it's been quite a while i watched it again and i i loved it i i how did i forget how fun this movie is yeah yeah and i have to take issue with what you guys were saying about um john cusack's character being a douchebag first of all he's the one who stands up to uh jack black's character about the the guy that they belittle yeah but he's, he's his boss and does he really stand up to him he yells yeah. at him but there are no real consequences just, for it <laughs> he hired them for a few hours a week and they just keep showing keep up showing up day. i know i get it well but... let me let me let me correct you real quick because joel kind of said it's like yeah they're a douchebag about the news or the music you know snobbery which we're movie snobs i think generally so that's fine yeah. i didn't have an issue with that i'm saying the way that he interacted with the girlfriend and all yep. that and the stalking. Yep. That's yeah, what yeah, I, yeah. I didn't care about him being music. Yep. It's, he's I a very petty guy. there as well. Um, I think in a drama, we allow people to have flaws. Yeah. And in a comedy, we don't, we won't accept uh, a character that's maybe a little more complex, particularly in something that is as surfacely fun as this is. I think he's showing that yeah, I did that. I was a dick about it. And he and, acknowledges it. And I think we all do things like that, really. And not we to compare... Don't accept it in a film character. Not to compare these again, but in About a Boy, it's the same character, essentially. It's not the same, but it mm -hmm. is kind of the same. And Hugh Grant and the Englishness of it softens it to a degree sure. that it, it doesn't make him not a douche <laughs> at all. Yeah. But it softens well, I mean it. Because what it I, has I, Nick's language and all that stuff, yeah. it's it's, it's definitely. It. Would, I, would I have looked yeah. at this differently if I'd seen this when it was released when I was twenty six? Maybe. Yeah, I mean, maybe. I don't think so because yeah. you got out of it what is there, which is 
the, the you know these actors are great doing good work and the thing is super entertaining and fun i mean that is all mm-hmm. that is primarily what it was but it is something yeah. more as well and that part that's more didn't work perfectly with me because it i think the turn was too sudden and it didn't yeah. work perfectly with you because you just the guy wore out his welcome before it happened certainly Th- that's yeah. i think that's that's not that doesn't make it a bad movie but that's legit well, way of looking at it at the same time well that's what i had that's what i told to rob um in our in our other conversation it, it, it is a kind of exactly what michael was talking about is that you know i i love this movie this movie was it, this movie helped me um make that connection to that i was living i i was not reconciling what my life was with what I thought it should be. This movie is a very important movie to me, just about a very personal level. I, I also think it's a lot of fun, and it's, I love Nick Hornby. And and I think Ryan, you're right. Nick Horn, this is there's a definite evolution in his writing that he sort of finds tells this character story, this type of character story, better in about a boy. But um, one of the things I wrote uh, when when I wrote to Rob is I'm like, oof, boy, it has been a while since I've watched High Fidelity and boy, that character is hard to, it's hard to go on this journey with him because he is creepy. He is a creep. The outside, the constant phone calls and and screaming at the windows and stuff. It's like how, yeah, I'm supposed to root for you. Yeah. But again, it goes back to this, you know, and then if you really step away and get meta about it, then you're like, oh, well, that's him, you know, expressing this fantasy. He's like, oh, I should be able to yell at the window and then, oh, our relationship. But no, in the none moment of it when works. you're telling that's the story, sure. none of it works. None, none of it works. It works. Um, and she so encourages I, I him not to do those things at all. But she mm-hmm. she doesn't ostracize. She doesn't. Yes. Cut him out of her life ever mm-hmm. because he because he always bit. brings it back to these simple, subtle conversations that are really about who they are. And I'll just say one last thing about High Fidelity because it, to me it's the best moment in the thing. It's the moment that really, really works when she finds that old list and she gets to the bottom of it and she says, I own my own record store. Why isn't that here? Yeah. That's that's Nick's voice speaking through this wise yeah. woman. Maybe too wise. It's hard to say. She really is kind of mm-hmm. the perfect. You know, she's the perfect everything. Yeah, she's perfect a counselor, she's perfect a, object of yeah. desire, you know. But whatever. She's a manic pixie dream girl fantasy. Kind and, of. And, and she doesn't come into his life and shake things up though. She right, she no, lets that's, him yeah. do his shit and then she says, "Now." You know, so she's more like a more like a therapist. <laughs> Yeah, but that question, and you see it, you see it work on John because he really is an extraordinary actor. You know what? Could that have been something at this age when you wrote this list that you'd have been excited to find out that in Chicago you owned your own record store, and that that was your thing? Like it, it's it's not nothing. It's actually a pretty cool thing, and it it gets right to the heart of that. It, it, you know, accept a little what your life is like, or you have no possibilities. You know, mm-hmm. I, that's a that's a really wise thing that comes through this movie that I really, really love, even though it it's a little clumsier here than it is in some of his other work. I th- I yes. think for me, I just I love I relate to his character a lot. Me too. Um, I his, love to make his problems anyway. I definitely relate things. to. And and I've had those moments where I'm looking back on old relationships and w- what you know, why didn't why did I leave that one? And uh, 
you know, that's just something that plays over in your head and stuff. And I think uh, at my age now, I'm getting to where he is finally starting to be to address of that. Why, why don't I just try and be happy with what I am doing? I can tell you guys, you guys can't relate to this, any three of you, but when you're alone, it's all you think about. There's my confessional moment. It is all you think about. You don't think about anything else. You, you engage with the things that are happening, but when the world gets quiet and you're left with your own thoughts, why is all you think about? (laughs) It's all you think about. And it's, it's, so I really did relate to that part of this and really all of his, especially this, because it, I found that scene where he goes and finds his high school sweetheart, and I found that terrible, even though he just kind of is, hmm, huh, at the end of it when she goes off on yeah. her kind of rant. But that that idea that you, I want to figure this all out, you know, and it's terrible yeah. advice he gets from that guy who's like, well, just go, go, go for it. <laughs> it's like, no, favorite don't. Favorite moment, favorite moment is the phone call to the junior high girlfriend's mom. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Brilliant. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. So, um, there's, yeah. Uh, so I want to, I want to hear what you guys, let's move on to blinded by the light. Uh, yeah, cause yeah. this one is, this one is, uh, not knowing at all who you are and how music helps you find uh, music can help you find your voice, find who you are and may help you, you know, help you discover who you could be in this life. Uh, so blinded by the light. Go. Who? Go. Okay. I am revved up like a douche to talk about this movie. Ah, okay. Well, go ahead. Otherwise, you just talk (laughs) over me. So you go first. No, you go Ah. first, Rob. You almost never go first. I just wanted to get my cheesy pun in. I apologize. This this was when Joel and I texted because I just finished this. I'd watched High Fidelity two days before. But after I saw this, this was uh, the other film I had never seen before. I texted him and I thanked him for the film. And I said, beautiful, joyful, moving. I'm still smiling. I loved this film. This probably, it's hard to compare this to the verdict or whatever, but I just found this film so rewarding. Um, It, it captured so many emotions. Um, just the this whole idea of connecting through someone else's creativity and it sparking your own and i the moments those happen where they use text from the lyrics swirling around him as he's listening he's alone and you can see him internalizing it i i've had that moment so many times that just felt like oh i can relate to this this is so powerful. The, the sections where it's almost like a musical where he sings with Rob Brydon, who I love. And I was so gr- I love seeing him in this small role. Always. Rob's always in, great when he shows up. Yeah. When he joins in and sings, which one is it? The uh, Thunder Road mm-hmm. uh, to the girl. That moment is like, yes, I've had that fantasy in my head. Well, and seeing and Dean Charles Chapman too, to a lesser degree, not to cut you off, but seeing him see his buddy who's looked after and kept under his wing, like connecting with his father in a way that he never has and probably never will. The agony of that is also happening in that same scene. And it's the whole thing is really, really effective. 
yeah the uh that section and i mean the girl that he falls in love with who's the actress uh i wrote it nell williams yep nell i've never williams. seen her in anything else oh i love her i want to go back in time and fall in love with her she's <laughs> just fantastic She's pretty neat and i want to sing that song to her in the middle of a crowded marketplace and i want rob bryden to join in because he has a better voice than i do <laughs> and uh when they're they're doing born to run they put put on the the in the school radio station and lock the doors and then they run through the town this is the aspect of the film that are going to is going to turn off a lot of people they can't go with it I just fucking loved those <laughs> moments. I felt so joyful and uplifted. And I've watched the film twice now. Uh, and I watched it the first time like three or four weeks ago. I just, it just connected with me on this, this level that you cannot analyze, that you cannot explain. Um, I love films about uh, the creative process and what sparks our imagination. And I felt like this, this worked for me. And I think it's going to be a film that either works for you or it doesn't. If you can relate to it, the way it, it presents that having that fire lit within you or having someone else's uh, art inspire you, then you're going to love it. If you can't, if it's just not how you internalize those things, this probably doesn't work for you. But I, I was smiling the next day after this i just loved this movie it was so joyful it it's counter programming to michael's films which are very accomplished <laughs> films oh, but should have done birth and movies. blinded by the light they're not feel good movies both of these are just fun and joyful and sometimes that's really what you want in a film i like darker films and and more challenging films and all the films we saw on here had value for sure. But these are just like, this raises my spirit up and oh God. All right, that. Ryan and Michael don't get to talk about this film because I'm just right. want to leave it here uh, <laughs> on this happy, happy note. Um, all right, see you everybody, bye. <laughs> uh, we don't have a lot of time, Michael, but do your take real quick. Um, I won't you know. say what I said on a previous podcast where I said I hated something uh, because then I felt bad. I greatly <laughs> disliked this film. Um, it was, I'll use the term saccharine again. I just, I, and I loved Bend It Like Beckham and I feel like it's a very similar film, same filmmaker. And I had no issue with that. I was joyful just the way Rob was talking about for Bend It Like Beckham. This, I'm like, okay, can we just hit every single possible thing for this kind of story? Supportive teacher, downsize, father who doesn't believe outside of truth. I'm like, <laughs> can we just not do this again? And production values are good. I mean, the actors were all good, but I was bored. I'm like, I, I liked the message. I did like his trajectory of becoming self-confident because of his Springsteen addiction. But I, by the end, I'm like, I have seen this story at least a thousand times. It just, it didn't connect with me. And I was very happy when it ended there. And one, <laughs> but you oh, one didn't hate it. We have that well, on the... Yeah, oh, yeah. Well, you know, but the other thing is like, I they made such a big deal about the trip to New Jersey. And I yes, I understand the point was to see all the Springsteen stuff, but we have not gotten a glimpse of the thing that he went for. Yeah, Like yeah, that yeah, was yeah, kind yeah. of a big deal. Like why, 
So we just suddenly they're home. I'm like, yeah, not oh. only that, all we got was a photo montage and yet another musical vid music video. Um, yeah. the, but yeah, I in front of his face. So I thought he was, <laughs> I, you're not wrong about that. And again, your, your criticism, but it, it, it is an inspiring movie. Like I, it, it is that, and it does follow all of those tropes. And it does, in my opinion, go a little too far with really all of them kind of every step of the way. So I get that. There's something I really, really loved about it. I, I really love, and maybe this is a cliche too, but it, it's important that the movie does this at some point. You know, he, his article that he writes about the, the racial unrest um, during this time period, which is something we, the movie doesn't gloss over it, but the movie in trying to be an inspiring, positive thing doesn't dive into the horror of it very comfortably yeah. but it really was a serious thing margaret thatcher um in a way some of our recent leaders was kind of down with the traditionalist maybe not the skinheads but the traditionalist british people like kind of rising up against their own citizenry which was super distasteful and and it was really really frightening at the time um he that the fact that he comes into his own through that, it does skip his take on that. We're not privy to what the article even is. It's a little frustrating, sure. but it but it's still important that it's that. And then, of course, it's the moment for me. And when I started crying, so this movie worked on me. You know, I don't, I don't super love it either, but it absolutely. I'm sitting there with tears running down my face, and I got to take my glasses off. I mean, okay, movie, you win. You got me. You got me, fair and square. <laughs> Um, you know, he puts that speech down. The film has to show that it isn't enough to be in, to be inspired or obsessed with another artist or to be galvanized by a different work of art. You eventually you have to find your own voice. There's people saying literally that throughout the thing, but we need to see the proof of it. And that moment really sort of shows that. And I was I was tremendously moved by that, by the family coming in at the end. It was again, it was staged a little obviously and. I get that, but I, but as far as inspiration is, you know, uh, it is a cheesy inspirational film, but as far as cheesy inspirational films go, it's, I think it's first rate. So I, I, I yeah. enjoyed it very much and was glad that I was, cause I don't know if I'd have watched it otherwise. I was really glad to be, have been compelled because well, I would have looked at it. I would have seen a two minute trailer of it and I've been like, Oh, it's that. Yeah. And, and it is yeah, that. I, I mean, I admit it absolutely is that, but, but it, well, it, it's, my, it's a little more thing, than that. I, it really is really super neat. I liked it. Um, my my thing is, and I kind of I know it's based on a true story, so it couldn't necessarily go in this direction. Hold on, I hold on, was, hold on. It's oh. ba it's based there you on go. An incredible true story. Thank you. Now we needed that. <laughs> now is it's official, Michael. I'm, go ahead. I'm like thinking that this is moving toward the fact that he'll end up writing a song that Springsteen will record. That's where in my head this is going. Well, that, and that would have made it super amazing. Cheesy. I know, but I would have bought into no, that. No, no. You know, but it's it's just it just that shows no knowledge of of him where he comes from in life or frankly Springsteen who's to my knowledge only done one cover ever. Right, but I don't. I'm saying if it's fiction anyway, right. you know. So there's there's a couple of connections between your double features, Joel. That I I don't know if you're aware. Well, you must, everybody's aware that Bruce Springsteen had a little cameo in High Fidelity. Yeah, so that yeah. was a that was a cool was awesome uh, bridge. Uh, but the earliest film I've seen of Stephen Frears, um, in his 
filmography, not the first one I ever saw, was Sammy and Rosie Get Laid, which is all about Thatcherism and what was going on in, mm-hmm. in England at this time. That so, is a jewel of a Nile alligator, if I've ever heard it. It is kind of, but a welcome <laughs> um, one. Any chance to I, shit on Margaret Thatcher, I say, correct, let's go for correct. it. Let's get it in there. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, you know, and, and, and I, will, I will say, one of the things that uh, excited me about this movie it, it is, I mean, it is absolutely everything that, frankly, all of you are saying. Um, but and we've seen this story a thousand times and we've seen this story done better um, in, in many times. Uh, I just always uh, love to to see it, um, frankly, with uh, people who we no, don't normally get to see this kind of joyous, wonderful uh, um, sort of fluff. Yeah. I mean, it is this movie is fluff uh, and, and we get to we get to experience it with it's it's fluff with some curry that um, that when they go to the gonna... when they go to the daytime club that really that's my favorite wow, musical was, yeah. there's no springsteen was... there other well, little i guess there is right but um that that's my I remember, that's really... I remember i remember that i remember sneaking mm-hmm. out i remember having your kit in the car and dressing different and just going someplace to be yourself and be different and the weight of it, because there's a racial component to it and because of the time that the story takes place really, really landed with me. So I loved that mm-hmm. sequence as well. Oh, so, all right. Well, I think that is uh, a good place to uh, end our, uh, our double feature episode. We can always of course end it with. Rob and Michael and Ryan and Joel double and um we hope that you uh check out well frankly i hope you check out all these films but um i i I sure hope that we have uh inspired you to uh, to to take a look at some of these films that you hope if you haven't seen them i think they're worth a look um don't watch uh, killing of a sacred deer before you go to bed yeah don't watch it before you go to bed um you've been warned uh, yep and uh and yeah just make sure you're ready Make sure you're ready. Not a um, good first date movie. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Don't don't take it on a first date. Uh, it's more like a third ma- date movie. Yeah. 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 Um, and uh, so, but that uh, so that is going to do it. Ryan, uh, uh, Rob, and Michael, thank you so much once again for joining mm-hmm. us for a double feature episode. Um, I'm sure we will have another one of these uh, coming up. Um, as soon as we can find us a, a day that we're all maybe Halloween moments. at the latest. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, uh, all right. That is going to do it for us for this week. You can always reach out to us at uh, the movie show with Joel and Ryan page on Facebook uh, at ask Joel and Ryan on Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, And of course the uh, movie show with Joel and Ryan page here on YouTube. If you are watching the video feed, give us a like and subscribe at all these places. Tell everybody, yeah, go, go ahead. Give us a review on, uh, on iTunes or wherever you get your, your podcast uh, content. We will gladly take it. So, um, So we thank you all very much. And um, until next time, everybody, that's Movie Show with Joel and Ryan and Rob and Michael. Thank you for listening to The Movie Show with Joel and Ryan. Remember, all views and opinions represented in this podcast are personal and belong solely to the speaker and do not represent those people, institutions, or organizations that the speaker may or may not be associated with, unless explicitly stated. None of these views and opinions were intended to malign or deceive. And now, 
Here's the producers, circa 1982, to play us out. Rob and Michael and Ryan and Joel!